Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen of the America and of this world. How's everyone doing today? I hope everyone's doing great. Uh, welcome to another edition of the Sea Report. We are coming to you live on this Friday, May 27th, 2022. And I hope everyone is having an exceptional Friday so far. I know I am. I know I am, right? Uh, it's been a... Uh, it's been a good day, you know. I actually was trying to get on earlier today, as I promised last night. Last night, I promised two shows today, didn't I? You know, but I'm definitely the kind of person that if I'm going to if I'm gonna say something, I'm going to try and mean it. And then if I'm going to do something, I'm going to try and make sure it's at least quality, right? Well, uh, it's probably no surprise to all of you guys what today's topic will be since I was not able to get to it. Last night's episode ended up being what a it ended up being like a second amendment featurette, right? Um I knew I had a lot of stories, I knew I had a lot of um uh headlines etc that I wanted to share, but jeez Louise, I should have known better, right? I should have known better than to what did I just do? I should have known better than to uh schedule so much in one sitting, you know. Um and then uh, go on and on and on about of course uh, pardon me, uh, go on and on and on about, um, what it is I'll be sharing, you know, but I know you guys, I know you guys don't mind it, I know you guys don't mind it, I'm, I'm typically good for my word in that regard, uh, so today we're gonna have a world economic featurette, I mean, it would have been probably a four to five hour show yesterday if I just carried on and carried with it, um, uh, cause again, like, uh, with the second amendment, we're going from everything between what the Dems are doing to the, the shooting in, um, Uvalde to, uh, everything else, guys, everything else to Elon Musk for crying out loud, <laughs> having a little bit of fun with that, you know, uh, appreciating y'all's good sense of humor in that regard, as far as Musk goes. Cause you know, there's still a lot of people out there that are like, yeah, Elon's my boy. And you know what? It's okay. I get it. He can be your boy. I'm just saying, especially if you uh, have any amount of influence that maybe you should also share the other information with your audience too. It's not like I'm sitting here not sharing information about his Twitter and uh, stuff like that. You know, you got to give him both sides of the coin, especially when you're dealing with a billionaire, uh, abortionist, uh, <laughs> supporting Ukraine, supporting gun grabbing individual like Elon Musk. And we don't even need to go into his family history. I'm not here to talk about his mama, right? I'm just saying, maybe, maybe share both sides of the coin with your audience. And uh, if it has anything to do with your pride, what the hell are you doing in this game if you're still too prideful to admit you were wrong about something? And why the heck would you consider yourself some type of uh, information truth teller when you willingly omit information because of your pride or something like that? Ego? I don't know. Isn't that the same thing? Maybe to varying degrees it is. I am not sure, guys. And uh, I don't know why I opened with that. But here we are. Oh, because you know what? I mentioned Elon Musk and the guns, right? I mean, I wasn't expecting to find out that Elon Musk was a gun grabber. What else is he going to pull out of his hat? Does that mean that this week people who kind of go back and forth on uh, making a commitment to their decisions, <laughs> that now they don't like him because now he's a gun grabber? And uh, but, but just last week they liked him because he was a freedom fighter, right? I don't know, guys. I don't know. I think I think the majority of uh, I don't know who whatever mindset these globalist 
uh, you know, imbeciles are in that uh, uh, have have gone through decades and decades of analyzations and research and, and have committed to really cracking open the psychosis of uh, of humanity and how they think and how that all works. I think, I mean, maybe... Maybe they were uh, maybe they were testing a model of that type of individual, right? The kind of people that just uh, flip flop back and forth based on whatever information they get in the moment, and really have no way of committing to any type of uh, I don't know I don't know personal commitment. Did I say commitment? Integrity? You know, I'm kind of lost on it now. Let's just stop talking about. Elon Musk for the time being. You know, the guns topic itself was uh, hard enough, right? Because uh, uh, even then, there's some people that don't agree with everyone's opinion. And, you know, we're not supposed to agree all the time, guys. I mean, you want to talk about diversity? Well, you know, when we talk about diversity on shows like this, we're not talking about the leftist type of diversity, right? We're talking about actual diversification of, of thought, and, and that's how we grow, that's how we learn, that's how we gain new insights, you know? And, and I'm willing to say that when one is wrong, they gain more insights from discovering the truth versus their previous thought process or belief, wouldn't you say? And that's how we grow. I mean, we can't grow if we know everything and we're right all the time, right? No, we need to be wrong sometimes. And then after that, it's just up to, you know, uh, everyone's individual uh, ego or pride or whatever you want to call it to decide how, whether or not they're going to allow themselves to grow or if they're going to continue to omit and lie to everyone, uh, most importantly themselves, about what the heck is really going on here, right? You know, and uh, it's just an interesting position to take in, in a field of, uh, I don't know how else you would say it. I mean, uh, in, in a world where everyone is searching for the truth or at least to, uh, to get as closely to the truth or some type of accurate knowledge in a world full of deception already uh, designed that way, you know, to be involved in the field of disseminating certain truths, right? You know, you got your you got your propagandist and your uh, corporate and your political uh, might as well be the same thing. Fascistic type of uh, you know programs, and that's uh, that's a fitting word. And you got your uh, free thinking, you know, uh, independent uh, and and totally free free movement alternative to it. Interesting field to be in, especially when there's so much, so much misinformation, disinformation, necessary or not, as well as infiltration, which unfortunately is necessary, but not for the reasons that we would want them to be, right? Interesting, isn't it, right? We could throw a whole bunch of those types of little, I don't know, isms and, uh, sorry, I'm trying to button the bottom of my vest, right? Okay. And things at you guys, uh, but we won't we won't be long on it. Um, gonna get through today's episode. Gonna give you guys some information about the World Economic Forum, as I have promised, as of last night. Right? I think uh, I closed the show with uh, um, an image of like George Soros and 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 uh, one of the royals and uh, Klaus Schwab and and Greta Thunberg, right? <laughs> And I already felt bad enough as it is, right? That like I had to cut the show at three hours, okay? And I hadn't even touched the World Economic Forum. 
Um, although I did receive good feedback on, on the episode itself. Some people were like, you know, uh, it, it was timely information. We needed to talk about the gun thing, especially because of what happened uh, this week in Texas. And, uh, you saw, you know, I found out some people did not even know it happened. Like, like, uh, my sister was telling me that some, one of her friends just found out yesterday that there was a shooting. And I know we're only like, what, two or three days removed now, but still, uh, you know, some people don't know, just like they did not know about the World Economic Forum. And they did not know about the IR, IHR amendments to uh, that were provided by Biden, just like they did not know about the global pandemic treaty. Interesting how everything just gets so like, what what are those Russian dolls called that like the, the uh, not the, what are they called? You know, the, the nursing dolls or whatever they're called. I don't know what they're called. I can't remember. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's like a doll within a doll within a doll within a doll. And it better be Russian so we can blame it on Putin. And definitely not on any type of globalist machinations that are coming down from uh, globalist centers like the World Health Economic Forum. Wait, I keep on I keep on interlacing those two. I did it last night also. I don't know if you guys noticed. The World Health Organization and the World Economic Forum. Too many worlds here, guys. Let's 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 start to uh, consolidate some of that, right? Let's consolidate some of these planetary ideas. Well, that's what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to consolidate and centralize every government and nation on this planet. They're trying to consolidate and centralize every aspect of life from finance to uh, manufacturing to uh, politics to media, everything, information. They're trying to uh, collapse everything onto itself. Most of all, human beings themselves, right? They want to collapse them all and consolidate them into like what? These small little uh, like coffin apartments, might as well call them that. Got a really interesting way to open up our discussion about the World Economic Forum and Davos, which I'm guessing, I guess it's ending tomorrow, right? It was the 22nd through the 28th, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and some interesting developments, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if you guys have heard already, and uh, yeah, not too many people spilled into the chat room yet, but I'm guessing since no one has spilled the beans, maybe they haven't heard about it. But I'm glad you're here with us right now for this moment, guys, because, uh, you know, I don't know how much longer we'll be talking about the World Economic Forum. I'm not saying that it's going away. Who knows? You know, if uh, Trump gets back in office or at least someone similar to him and the people finally find their will, <laughs> they may not, we may not be part of the World Economic Forum anymore or the World Health Organization once again, or maybe they'll cease to exist. I mean, uh, they came up with a lot of resistance to this uh, global pandemic treaty and the IHR amendments. Now, I have to delineate between the two, okay? Because this is what I found out in my own personal readings of source material, right? Okay? Because we talked, uh, we featured twice on this program, on this show. I don't like using the word program, right? I'm not here to influence. I'm here to inform. Okay. So we, uh, I talked about it twice on two separate episodes about the IHR um, um, amendments. And, uh, and stop me if you guys already know the difference, right? I mean, as it turns out, there are two separate documents, right? 
Both of them, well, one is the one that gives the sovereignty of the nations to the World Health Organization in the event of an international health emergency from a global to regional to it might be happening, but we don't know what. Now, the global pandemic treaty is something totally separate from that, okay? The global pandemic treaty at like 60 some odd pages long, which I was reading today, which is in part why I didn't go on, or I really wanted to drop a noon show on you guys. I wanted to drop a nooner on you guys today. I was like, I'm going to pop up and make them spit out their lunch at 12 o'clock or one today. But here I found this global pandemic treaty, which I mentioned to you guys last night. And I was like, you know, I already had some stories outlined to get into it, but I was like, no, 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 no. Some of these, some of these news reports and even some of the broadcasters who are talking about it are talking about the IHR amendments as if though they are the global pandemic treaty. I was like, that's not right because then I'm reading other articles that say it does this and it does that and it does this. And I was like, I did not read that anywhere in the IHR amendments. And I did not read that anywhere in the IHR document itself, which was like 80 something pages. So I was like, where does it talk about, you know, um, a digital tracing and tracking in the IHR? It doesn't say that anywhere. What are these people talking about? You know, we're going to play a clip from Tucker Carlson today. Now, let's not forget, no friends of Fox on this channel. But, you know, if it's pertinent information or if it's a good interview, I might just pay attention. And plus, unless you guys want me to go through all 65 pages of this document today, and we're not going to do that, uh, Tucker Carlson actually summarizes both of the documents quite well. You guys probably already saw the segment where Tucker Carlson is talking about it. The thing that he does not do right, and I'm not calling him out right at all, but I'm just acknowledging the fact that he also includes the IHR amendments and the global pandemic treaty as if though they were one document. The IHR amendments are not a treaty, okay? They are amendments to a global uh, agreement, you know, uh, I, what you could call a treaty, but they are two separate things. Now, for those individuals who could not see world takeover and sovereignty sacrifice to the WHO in the amendments, maybe someone should have told them about the global treaty because the global pandemic treaty actually does lay out in detail, you know, everything from financial control and, and making sure that it's given to the World Health Organization on behalf of all of the governments in the United Nations. And it goes, I mean, it just, go, we're going to go into it. Don't worry. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. I am just expressing to you now that these are two very different things. Okay. And in addition to that, there's actually some breaking news on that front because uh, thank goodness the individuals who just couldn't see it by reading the source materials, I guess, didn't have big enough of a reach. Although you can imagine how much more the um, uh, how much more individuals would have stood up against it because even Carlson, you know, even Carlson acknowledges that no one in America knew about this because the press is not talking about it. But I guess some members of the press just wait for someone else to tell the story. And if they don't like them, they don't share the story. Right. Because that's the way it seems this was happening with this uh, amendments to the IHR and some individuals that I was coming across as I was scanning through things that I scan through all the time. And I was like, OK, I was like, all right. I mean, you don't see it. I get it. No one else. No one has integrity because apparently everyone's copying off of someone else. I get it. You're better than everyone else. But you know what? 
now they're wrong. Okay, so, and it's okay. Yeah, that's, it's okay. It's all right. It's okay, you know. Um, anyhow, so anyhow, that's why I said last night, guys, if, if you're going to talk about Elon Musk and you're going to call him an abortion supporter and you're going to say he supports Ukraine and you're going to say he's a gun grabber, at least have your documents to support and better yet, primary source materials like the words coming out of his mouth before you say something that could be construed as totally wrong, false and disrespectful. Right. Okay. All right. That's why I don't get off into any other uh, personal diatribes about things that I feel about other people. I mean, I can't do that. I can't prove it. I can't prove that that person's on contract working for the government here to uh, distort reality and confuse patriots. I can't prove it. So why am I going to say it right now? Mm. Okay, guys. So um, we're about ready now to jump into today's report. Don't forget, we're World Economic Forum exclusive for the next hour to two hours. Don't know how long today's show is going to be. But I made promises to you guys yesterday, and I intend to keep them. Real quick, we got the speak uneasy in the house. What's going on, my friend? He says, yo, brother, been behind a desk the whole day. I have you now. Welcome to my world. And uh, Elon is a puto, and that indeed, that was the speak uneasy's <laughs> message there. That indeed to, seems to be the consensus of some. Yes, sir. What's up, Aurelius Lot? Good to see you this afternoon. Disco Ball Chaser, good to see you as well. Thank you for dropping the links in the chat room. Uh, let's see who else is hanging out. And Kiss, hey, Kiss, what's going on? Good to see you in the chat room. Always a pleasure, always a pleasure. And thank you so much again. Uh, for uh, for some of the work that you're doing for the show. You don't have to, but I am totally appreciative of you, and I thank you again. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I know I forgot to talk about the podcast. <laughs> Dang it, I was trying to, to like have such a fluid venture into the World Economic Forum. Yep, 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 anchor.fm slash the C-Report. Go there, hence... Uh, find whatever podcast platform that you like to listen to. Don't matter to me. I'm not going to judge you. Right. And uh, or, or, you, or you can also support the Sea Report here. They've got a uh, they've got a, a monthly uh, uh, contribution program if you'd like. And if you'd really like to catch up with all of the information we're talking about today, well, then I would say uh, head ye on over to episode number 302 of the Sea Report. Yep, this is where we talk about, again, oh, I'm sorry, not 302, 303, 303 of the Sea Report. This is where we go headlong into the IHR, International Health Regulations of 2005, and the amendments for the second time. And uh, the first time we did it, I believe, was over here somewhere along um, maybe 294. Uh, or 290, no, it was before that. I think it's over somewhere in the 290s, okay? <laughs> I can't remember what episode it was. It might have been 299. Was it 299? And, oh, it was 298. Hello, Biden hands over U.S. sovereignty to the World Health Organization. Oh, you can't see it. 298. So 298, that was our first trumpeting about this information. And then 303 was our in-depth review of the information. And then today, well, we're just going to tell you what the outcome is possibly going to be in this regard, guys, about that topic. All right, there we go. Anchor.fm slash the C report even got you guys some good information while making the plug. 
Okay, and now we're on to President Trump's statements for this afternoon. We're only going to read two because I got to save some for later, you know. Uh, let's see what the president has to say today. And it goes something like this. Uh, is rhino writer Peggy Noonan the worst? After six years, she's never come close to figuring out the Trump America first or make America great again thing. She lives in a different, much more simple world. Ronald Reagan made her look good in that, by herself, she's got no political skill or vision. Zero. Calling it wrong ever since my wild ride down the escalator. What a ride it was, ladies and gentlemen. Blew his hair back. She never understood the hatred and sickness of the opposition and what it takes today to get good things done. Make America great again. Ah, yes, a nice little comment about uh, a rhino with intestinal woe. Uh, you know, I don't know much about Peggy, so I don't think I'll be able to comment other than, um, well, he's calling her out for a reason. Maybe some of you guys remember or know who that is. I don't. She's before my time. She's before my time. What's our next statement from President Trump? Goes this way. Compare how great America was just two years ago with today. No inflation. The war with Russia going into Ukraine would never have happened. Zero chance. $1.87 per gallon gasoline. Energy independence and soon energy dominance. Leave Afghanistan with dignity and strength, not surrender, death, and $85 billion worth of equipment left to the enemy. Not to mention an extremely, extremely expensive, what, base in Bagram? Um, a completely rebuilt military and with the addition of Space Force, biggest tax and regulation cuts ever. Historic job numbers and so much more. <laughs> I know none of us have buyer's remorse, and I know that at least half of America does not have buyer's remorse either, because after all, they probably didn't vote for anybody, right? <laughs> They're probably like, all oh, those damn Democrats who voted for Biden. I didn't vote for Biden. I didn't vote for Trump either. I didn't vote because I don't believe in the system, right? <laughs> That's funny. Oh my goodness. Wouldn't it be funny if one third or less or a quarter of this um, country actually voted for Biden and no one else has buyer's remorse because only a quarter of the country voted for Biden? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Sean Joe, is President Trump giving a live speech from the NRA? Don't tell me that now. I didn't dig that deep into it, my friend. If he is, drop the link in the chat. And if he isn't, why are you torturing me like this? <laughs> why are you torturing me? Um, let's see here. You know, I rely on Sean Joe for the up-to-the-minute breaking uh, President Trump speeches, right? I have an entire, an entire episode laid out before you guys, and I cannot go for six hours. I have to uh, divide the uh, divide the um, podcast. For editing purposes, after in post-production, ladies and gentlemen, it's just not easy if you do it that way. Like, I mean, a six-hour. 
a six-hour episode is not as easy as it is to edit. Wait. A three-hour is not as easy as it is to edit a six-hour. No, wait. I think I had it right the first time. Sean Joe. <laughs> Sean Joe. You are just throwing me off the hook. Okay, hold on. I'm just going to go inspect something real quick. And, uh... Damn it. Damn it, Sean Joe. Okay. Uh, well, you know, we'll have to air this later, guys. I have an entire... Besides, probably everyone else on this platform is airing this speech, right? Let me go, let me go look right now. I'm going to take five more minutes out of today's show just to do this little... I want to see how many of you guys are already playing this, right? <laughs> Why would I do that, right? Why would I do that? Let's see here. Yep, there's one. Uh, that is not Trump. Uh, let's see here. Nope, that's not Trump either. I'm, I'm willing to bet he went on at 5 p.m. unless he was fashionably late and he came on at uh, 5.20. <laughs> so we're already missing the speech, okay? Already missing the speech. So... Do you know what time he started, Shanjo? Put it in the put it in the chat room, please. Taking five more minutes. Five more minutes. Yep, yeah, there's two. In case y'all are wondering, I'm just one I'm just curious of the ratio of Trump NRA broadcasters to everything else at the moment. That's why I'm looking. Three. Three, you know, actually, that's pretty, that's, that's very few, actually. That's very few. Compared to, like, a rally, like, Saturday, like, tomorrow. Like, just about every channel on this uh, platform is going to have Trump on the screen. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Well, hopefully, hopefully, everything goes off well for this speech. Well, we'll have to do a replay on it, guys. Sorry, sorry, president, my president, but for the time being, uh, we will not be airing. Hopefully nothing dramatic happens, right? And I miss it because I wasn't live with the president. Oh, Lord. Okay. We got to talk about the World Economic Forum. I already promised this to you guys. Yeah, 20 minutes ago, it's already too late, Sean. It's already far too late. While I was just spinning my wheels about Elon Musk and, uh, and uh, infiltrators, I just totally was not aware. Thank you for presenting me with that information, though. Okay, all right. Hey, you save that for later, President Trump. All right. Okay, guys. Okay, so we have finished our Trump statements for the time being. Okay. No no other statement like a live Trump statement. No, just kidding. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Sean Joe. Like, half the people who were here left when you said Trump was live. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> Thank you for the cookies, though. Thank you for the cookies. And uh, thank you for the 117 gold pills, Mr. Relanon. Good to see you hanging out out there as always. Okay, here we go, guys. I would say uh, strap in your seatbelts. Get your vomit bags out because we're about to talk about the World Economic Forum. Get your blood pressure medicine ready, right? Uh, I don't know, grab something that will relax you. If, if that is an alcoholic beverage, it's past 5 p.m. Go knock yourselves out. Now, like I said yesterday, as I was teasing about my uh, my dive into the World Economic Forum 2022 at Davos, right? 
which actually encompasses quite a many, many different uh, elements uh, as far as um, uh, the planning of global governance goes. Um, uh, there's going to be a, some very, very familiar information in the following uh, report. Um, there's going to be some information that you, you probably are pretty uh, aware of and privy to. Uh, but interesting as it is to see them just actually putting it out there, guys. So with that in mind, you know, with that in mind, um, uh, the World Economic Forum, um, the global, the Great Reset, right? Uh, the United Nations, the World Health Organization, somehow all of these different elements all fit into one centralized plan. And, you know, for as long as the United Nations has been around, for as long as the World Health Organization has been around, um, and all of these treaties, etc., that came later on, uh, as long as the World Economic Forum has been around, you know, I've never actually explored when the World Economic Forum came into existence. How long has it been around? A couple of decades or more? Three decades at the most? I don't know. I mean, as far as I know, the United Nations, like, precedes that. As far as I know, the World Health Organization precedes that. But I could be wrong. I've honestly never looked at the timeline of the World Economic Forum. I do know that in the um, in, in, in regards to public perception, right, in regards to public knowledge of those three specific entities, I would say the public in general was not aware of the World Economic Forum until after, you know, after the World Health Organization and after the United Nations. Now, we, we've always heard about Davos. We've heard like, uh, we've heard about like what, Bilderberg, right? And, and I think even public knowledge of Bilderberg preceded the World Economic Forum, unless it was public, but to certain circles. And it just so happens that the circles I was in were fighting against Bilderberg and all that stuff prior to realizing that the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab were probably sitting on top of that. Or are they even sitting on top of that? Because then, well, we got the 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 uh, trilateral commission. We got what the, uh, the the what is that one called again? The um, oh, C C T R. Oh wait, that's <laughs> that's critical theory of race. No, oh my goodness, there are just so many of these agencies, these globalist agencies. You know, my mind is just like gah stays out of the news for a minute and it goes away. And it was there. It was so, so pro, uh, prolifically featured on many of uh, many of those fine alternative shows that, interestingly enough, Council on Foreign Relations, thank you, um, that, interestingly enough, uh, you know, are now proving to be, like, like, infiltrator types, right? Like, disinformation outfits and misinformation outfits and uh, sleight-of-hand outfits, Right? Not the kind of outfits I enjoy being in, ladies and gentlemen. But yeah, so all of these different elements, you know, combine to just this one type of centralized idea, which is global governance. And whatever it is that they want in order to um, en enact it, you know, that is... They'll take whatever means to reach that end. It appears, right? It appears. You know, we went through that Al Jazeera article a couple of shows ago, 307, I think it was, where 
They're going on and on about how no one likes Davos, no one trusts Davos. Why are all these unelected bureaucrats and and billionaires, whatever, coming together? You know, while while still keeping in keywords like equity, you know, diversity, and uh, tax the rich and, and stuff like that, just just to pander to the left, you know. Um, there's a lot of pushback on all fronts, you know, regarding this. So when we're talking about the global pandemic treaty and the separate IHR amendments, there was indeed pushback. We uh, played a video um, about uh, the president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, and what he thought about that in regards to his country, or at least the country that he's currently the president of. And uh, Brazil wasn't going to do it. As it turns out, there were a couple of other countries and maybe an entire continent that pushed back against it. We'll get to that in a minute. But um, the reason why I'm going on about, you know, all of these globalist agencies, whether it is the, the WHO or it is, you know, the World Economic Forum, you know, or it is the Council on Foreign Relations or the Trilateral Commission or Bilderberg or whatever entities that come together in their dark, creepy boardroom and talk about, you know, according to that what? According to that French billionaire that uh, is currently uh, hamstringing um, Maria Zak and all of her pertinent information about the theft of the 2020 election in in, uh, in regards to uh, international uh, uh, international um, collusion and, and interference. Yeah, that guy. According to him, it's only 38 people, right? Uh, according to American Horror Story, it's a boardroom that fits like 200 and something people, right? So to pick your number, right? 38 people that we already know about billionaire, you know, uh, ha- um, um, hack or, or 230 people, um, uh, embellishing Hollywood realism, you know, whatever you want to pick, right? It's something like that, right? Something like that. You mean, you don't, you don't need millions of these globalists in order to do what they're doing now. You just need enough people in perfectly strategically placed positions to carry out the mission, right? That's all you need. You, you need like what a thousand, 2000 of them, maybe at the most, Maybe more, maybe just 5,000, I don't know, 5,000 dedicated millionaire and up, you know, globalists. That's all you need, right? The lowest rung of the billionaire is in the most, uh, in the most um, undeveloped country kind of thing, you know? Like, that's all you need. You don't need a million people. You don't need a full country of globalists to do what they're doing. You just need enough of them in the correct and efficient positions to carry out the mission that they are trying to complete right here and now. That's all you need. You don't need, you don't need a majority. You don't need a democracy. You don't need uh, approval from the people. Just enough of your closest friends and family in the best positions, the most optimal spots to carry out that mission, okay? And anything in addition to that is a bonus until they decide to exterminate them, right? As useless shaft, because that's what we all are to them in the end. Now, dramatic as it may sound, I open with that for a reason, ladies and gentlemen, and I should have had this on the screen the whole time, but um, yeah, committed to improving the state of the world. I would ask for who? World Economic Forum, are you committed to improving the state of the world for? For who? For yourselves, for your family, for your bloodline, for those uh, X amount of thousands of operatives placed in that strategic position to carry out your mission. I would say that is who you are improving the state of the world for, Economic Forum. I'm pretty sure 
I'm pretty sure that's understandable, right? It's like, it's, it's that, that, uh, that um, double speak. It's that duality of language. When you get a treasonous politician saying, uh, uh, we need to stand up for our national security. We need to protect our country. Well, that, 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 um, that treasonous operative, right, is not talking about your America and my America. They're not talking about the organic America that we have come to believe is our reality. They're talking about their America. They're talking about whatever system of uh, agreement and management they put into place to make those United States of America, right, and what it works for them. Some people call it corporate United States of America, right? You know, incorporated. That is the one that they're protecting the national security for. That is the one that they are uh, so endeared to loving and protecting. And so that's why when they say it, that's why when you get a bold-faced liar up there on, you know, on the screen, that's why when you get Barack Obama up there giving his speeches on the State of the Union, he's not talking about the organic America. He's talking about the incorporated America. He's talking about the America that was hijacked and that they control. That's why it's so believable. That's why people don't see through their lies because they're being honest. They're just not telling you which America they are talking about. Same thing here, guys. It is through this duality of um, reality, right? These guys have literally created a dual reality. One in which all of the servants and all of the goyim and all of the the subjects and all of the, uh, the serfs live in. All of the debt slaves. That's me and you, ladies and gentlemen of this audience. That is one reality. And the reality that they are smugly snickering over behind our backs with each other in Davos and with their families around the world is that the reality they're talking about, the world that they are committed to improving, is their world, ladies and gentlemen. It is not the one in which all of us live together. Okay? And that brings us over to Agenda 2030, right? It was Agenda 2021. That got uh, derailed for at least four years, okay? And, uh, you know, I guess that's when it became Agenda 2030. I don't know if I'm, I'm correct in that assumption. But, uh, and this is another big topic of conversation. We're talking about, like, the global pandemic treaty. We're talking about world governance, world dominance over everything from, uh, what, uh, energy to, uh, to the way we live to uh, what we own, etc. Big, 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 big ideas. Consolidation, right? Big, big, big ideas. Centralization. Control can't be true. How on earth could, I don't know, one or two people in this world, how could one person like Klaus Schwab, how could one person like George Soros, you know, how could anyone like that manage to pull off a scheme of global domination, consolidation, centralization, and quite possibly mass genocide, you know? How could they do that? There's no way. Well, I mean, you know, all of these uh, world organizations mentioned and all of the ones that I'm not even acknowledging or aware of, you know, and, and I mean, particularly like if they're NGOs or something like that, you know, of course, they can't track down every one of them. But that was one of the ways that they did it, you know, and, and it just boils down to, again, having the right people in the right places, you know. And that's everywhere from your government to, I would say, the most important place, the most pivotal position 
for any of these operatives to be placed would be in government or in media. Hands down, right? Finance, oh, they'll get it like that because money talks, you know? They can make you a great deal to become an operative for the world takeover. I don't know what you want to call it. For the, the Nazi world order, the new world order. What are we calling it these days, guys? Jeez, I don't know. Um, but, uh, it's all, but, but the pivotal ones, the pivotal ones, you know, would probably, probably be in government and in media and even government, maybe not, maybe just in a few countries, most of them already taken over, but who knows, you know, who knows, uh, you know, maybe these governments, if they had the right person in place would manage to, uh, flip the script, you know, uh, because after all, I mean, uh, we know by a primary example, the uh, United States of America, as their version of it, was extremely effective in um, uh, doing regime change throughout this country, especially in this hemisphere, you know, especially in this hemisphere. Uh, they were really good about it. Like, man, talk about effective. These United States of America, the United States of America, with uh, people like the CIA and whomever else preceded them, were very, very good at initiating regime change, getting all of the right players into place so this way they could realize their one world government even quicker, making sure that all the countries went by their game plan so that this way, no matter what it looked like to the general public, it still reached the conclusion that they desired. You know? And then came along someone like Donald Trump. And barring that he's not, you know, uh, the same thing, but just like on the other team and in, in, in the agenda of world governance, right? Because I've heard that one before, right? Oh, don't you know Trump works for the Rockefellers, not the Rothschilds. And that's who he's there for. And he's there to make sure that they, they are the ones that have the world government. And they are the ones that are in control of the new world order, not the Rothschilds. I don't know about that, guys. I have no idea about that. I also heard that, you know, that was that was also created the, the division between the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds in order to further divide those who are divided or those who are coming together under this uh, fight against, uh, you know, world dominance. Right. You know, I mean, I already, I already told you guys like back in the day, I had theories about President Trump being a janitor. Right. You know, he was just there to clean up all the shit <laughs> that the previous operatives uh, left behind. And then the walls he built would keep us in, right? I told you guys about that theory a long time ago, didn't I? Anyways, so. Obviously, I'm not saying that President Trump is an operative. What I, the reason why I bring that up is because, like I said, pivotal in government and in press, right? Because all of a sudden, along came Donald Trump and upended, flipped the script on everything that they were trying to do. And in four years, he did far more damage to them than anyone else has done in any of our lifetimes, and not to mention just about destroyed all of the work that they took over a century to complete. <laughs> over a century. Shanjo, if you are trying to scalp my audience, I swear, sir. No, just kidding. I know you're not. Uh, but thank you. I'm glad that you're able to listen to both of these shows um, <laughs> at the same time. Uh, but by all means, go join President Trump. I don't, don't, don't allow me to keep you from the president, Sean Joe. And I appreciate it. Okay. All right. You know, you are, you, you, I was on, I was on a steamer right there, Sean Joe, and you just totally sidetracked me. Okay. Actually, no, he didn't guys. I was already coming to my point. My point was when we're talking about this, um, global governance, you know, and we're talking about, uh, 
all of these um, dual meanings of things, you know, uh, people are like, well, you know, it'd be, it'd be great to see it in writing. Like, what do they think about? Like, what is, what is it that actually is going through their minds, you know? Um, so as we spill into the rest of Davos, as it's already coming to a conclusion, I found this article I really wanted to share with you guys because I thought it was super interesting way to jump into the mindset of these um, globalist um, operatives and bosses and manufacturers and and implementers. And uh, it's this um, it's this article that was written by uh, let me see what was her name. A woman by the name of Ida Aachen, okay? And apparently, I guess she was like the, um, I think she was the president or the prime minister of Denmark. Denmark, yeah. I, I don't think she's currently the prime minister. I think she's like probably a parliamentarian or something like that now. But this was an article that she wrote. Now, this article came out, I think, in 2016 or 15, um, so, uh, let's, let's take a look at what Ida Aachen had to say, uh, about the future, ladies and gentlemen, about the future. In fact, the title of her article is, Welcome to 2030. I own land, live among many like-minded people, and life has never been better. Well, you know, that sounds like 2030 is going to be a great time for everyone on this planet. But as I said, in their doublespeak dual reality, they're not talking about you and me, ladies and gentlemen. They're talking about themselves, their family, and anyone they care to bring along that got them where they wanted to be. Welcome to 2030. I own land. I live among like-minded people and life has never been better. Welcome to the year 2030. Welcome to my home. I own a couple of acres in an, in, in an intentional community just outside a major city. I live in an earth ship with my family and our pets. Together we live amongst dozens of other families and individuals who decided to get out of the concrete jungle and head for greener pastures. Every family owns their own land and home. The founders of our community bought the land and began recruiting members in the late 2010s as the surveillance grids became more obvious. Our community has built our own homes, roads, a network of trails, and a community center where we host educational workshops to teach other communities how to become independent from the grid. Speaking of the grid, some of our neighbors have been experimenting with free energy devices, free energy devices, while others are focused on solar, hydro, and wind power. We are determined to be energy independent, especially after some governments began disconnecting the unvaccinated from the electric grid in 2026. Did you guys catch that? We are determined to be energy independent, especially after some governments began disconnecting the unvaccinated from the electric grid in 2026. Once food prices and inflation began to rise in 2022, keep in mind, guys, this, this was written in 2015 or earlier. 
we realized we needed to cut our dependence on the grocery stores. Most of the corporate stores require a digital ID to enter anyways, and most of our community members have opted out of that system. So now all of our homes are nestled within food forests, producing fruits from around the world. The hundreds of trees we have planted the last few years shield our homes from the elements and allow for privacy. As you walk down the pathways, you also see many pre uh, per, per, permaculture permaculture gardens, producing veggies and herbs for cooking and medicine. Free-range kids are running in every direction, laughing and playing in the sun. Free-range kids. The best part of our lives now is that we are not alone. In fact, we are one of thousands of communities which form an international network outside of the big cities and control grid. Our community is surrounded by several other like-minded communities, each with their own governance models, traditions, and norms. We often trade goods and services with our local neighbors, and some communities have begun establishing long-distance trade networks. Thankfully, in the late 2010s, a handful of forward-thinking individuals began establishing local cells and circles, helping people network and find the community they were looking for. These groups laid the foundation for a people's reset, which saw millions of people exiting from the grid and disobeying authoritarian mandates. Those cells eventually morphed into intentional communities and eco-villages united by respect for self-ownership and bodily autonomy. Together they form a decentralized network of networks, which gives the people an option outside of the smart cities. I've even heard rumors that some of these communities help people escaping from the cities. They live different kinds of lives inside the cities. Sometimes I think about the people we left behind, the people who became consumed with the benefits and conveniences of technology and couldn't see the danger, the people who were propagandized to hate their neighbor if they belonged to a different political party, even worse, the people who knew what was coming but failed to act. They live different kinds of lives inside the city. They are only allowed to go outside their apartments when the climate warning system is listed as green and when the Gates World Health Foundation says the pandemic threat level is below a 70. No one is allowed to drive a vehicle anymore or own land. You can't rent an appliance without showing a digital ID card or scanning your retinas. Actually, no one is even allowed in the city without being sanitized, scanned, tagged, and assigned a social credit rating which determines your class and access to public services. We know there are labor camps and quarantine camps, but they are hard to find because the ruling Democratic Republican Alliance. Oh, you mean the Uniparty's going to show its face by 2030? The Uniparty is going to show its face. I hope people are taking notes, right? The Democrat Republican Alliance moves the prisoners often. So they cannot find the quarantine camps. And they cannot find the labor camps. We pray every day for our brothers and sisters in the city, and we work towards a day when all our people are free to join us in creating the lives of their dreams. That's quite an interesting article, isn't it, guys? That is, um, 
shocking. And this is coming again from Ida Auckland, right? Now, you know, reading some of that, if you were to take out all of the green environmental speech, right? All of that leftist idea, free-range kids, right? Wind, hydro, blah, 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 you know, blah, blah, blah. If you were to take that out of the speech, you would think that this was like, I don't know, some kind of sovereign citizen who believes in, you know, humanity and, and is astonished at what our world has turned into because of what the globalists have achieved. But this was written by a former leader of Denmark who is very active with the World Economic Forum, okay? Very active with the World Economic Forum. So... Don't don't think that this was a freedom fighter who wrote that little story. Because everything that's happening with the propagandized people who were who were uh, fooled into hating each other for political parties who can only come out of their apartment when the Gates Health Foundation says pandemic threat below 70. She helped implement that. OK, she's helping to implement that. The person who wrote that story. Okay, helping to implement that which she's talking about. Um, fa it's fascinating. That's fascinating. And if not disgusting, okay, if not disgusting, fascinating. Uh, all of that information that was dropped in that one little speech there that she wrote. Disgusting, right? It's disgusting, isn't it? Disgusting. Um... Here's a little bit of information on that article, guys. I know some of you guys are probably curious, right? Uh, so it says here, on Friday, November 11th, 2016, the World Economic Forum and Forbes magazine published a short essay titled, Welcome to 2030, I Own Nothing, Have No Privacy, and Life Has Never Been Better. Written by Ida Aachen, Denmark, uh, Ida Aachen, Denmark's former Minister of the Environment. Oh, sorry. I guess I made her a little bit more important. Than Minister of the Environment. Oh, Am I sorry. back? I guess I made her a little bit more important. I'm back. Okay. Sorry, guys. I'm going to freeze for a minute. Yeah. Um, yeah, my computer froze. So I apologize. But uh, I'm just using this time to reset my clock. I guess it came in the nick of time, didn't it? It came in the nick of time. Okay. All right. Let's continue with this. Now, as I was saying, I apologize. I guess I made Ida Aachen more important than she. It continues this way. Come on, computer screen. Oh, you remember those ghosts in the machine I was telling you about yesterday? Yep, they're showing their face right now. Come on, you gremlins. Get off the screen. Sorry, my screen's being blocked by... Gibbs. 
Go away. Jeez Louise. Hey, Monk45. Good to see you. Good afternoon. Just give, I don't know what's I don't know how Joe Blow is getting money. All right, he's infiltrated. Hold on, maybe I can do this. Uh I can't do that. Okay. Show is being um, obfuscated, but I just realized that I don't need that screen to see the show. Okay, so I don't know what's going on with half my computer screen, but we'll co- we'll continue. Okay, it says um, "What's up, ladies and gentlemen? It's Mr. C from the C Report, and I'm stopping in for just a sec to encourage you guys to head over to thecreport.com." At thecereport.com, you can get more information on the C-Report, check out episode resources, follow our blog and get new articles every week, join our mailing list, and stay abreast on the latest news and information. That's right, head on over to thecereport.com, that's www.thecereport.com, and be sure to follow us on our social medias, Truth Social, Rumble, Twitch, Clouthub, and Hill.net. Written by Ida Aachen, Denmark's former minister for the environmental imagines what life might be like in 2030. The year 2030 was chosen because of its importance to the achievement of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. The Sustainable Development Goals are a collection of 17 interlinked objectives adopted by the United Nations in 2015 with the ostensible goal of ending poverty, protecting the planet and spreading peace and prosperity to all by 2030. Their actions, however, regularly belie their stated intentions. The um, S- the Sustainable Development Goals were part of a larger resolution known as the 2030 Agenda or Agenda 2030, with the stated purpose of fighting climate change. While the United Nations uh, Sustainable Development Goals and Agenda 2030 are often touted as a tool for establishing healthy multilateral relations between nations in truth, They are based in a deeper agenda to monitor, control, and direct all life on the planet. Although the essay is six years old, most people have become aware of it. And the phrase, you will own nothing and be happy, since the World Economic Forum announced the Great Reset agenda in June 2020. Over the last two years, countless researchers, podcasters, and journalists have shared their concerns with the public in an attempt to avert the world described by Ida Aachen. The efforts to reach the masses appear to have been successful to some degree based on the corporate media attempting to fact-check the story. Ida Aachen releasing a statement in response to the public concerns and the World Economic Forum taking the essay down from their website. In Aachen's 2020 statement, she says, Some people have read this blog as my utopia or dream of the future. It is not. It is a scenario showing where we could be heading, for better and for worse. Not for better or for worse, for better and for worse. 
I wrote this piece to start a discussion about some of the pros and cons of the, con of the current technological development. When we are dealing with the future, it is not enough to work with reports. We should start discussion in many new ways. This is the intention with this piece. Now, she was, she, was, she was doing one of those memory board activities. You know, they're like, you need to write down in detail what it is that you want and what it is that you envision your future to be. That's what the bitch was doing. Don't give me this, uh, I'm writing creative fiction in order to uh, prov provoke thought and, um, and, and discussion. Interestingly enough, Ida Alkin is listed as an agent agenda contributor for the World Economic Forum and was the first Danish politician chosen for the Young Global Leaders Program. Alkin has also released three other blogs, Imagining the World of 2030. Upon reading these four essays, you come away with the understanding that some of what Alkin and the World Economic Forum describes actually sounds beneficial. After all, who would not want a more walkable and bikeable town or city? Who does not appreciate more trails and trees? Of course, when you get past the buzzwords and promises of utopia, you recognize that the world of 2030 described by Alkin and the World Economic Forum is a world where technocrats centrally plan every aspect of society it is a world with no privacy, no personal property ownership, with compulsory digital IDs, digital currencies, and social credit scores. In short, you will own nothing and be happy. Alkin makes these points clear in her 2016 essay when she notes that everything you considered a product has now become a service. Or, in our city, we don't pay any rent because someone else is using our free space whenever we do not need it. My living room is used for business meetings when I am not there. She also notes that shopping has turned into choosing things to use and that sometimes she lets the algorithm do it for her because it knows my taste better than I do by now. Finally, Alkin laments the people who do not live in our city, those who those we lost on the way, referring to the people who opted out of the smart cities and social credit scores to exit the cities and build self-supplying communities. What Ms. Alkin may fail to understand is that millions of people who are choosing to exit the cities already and build outside the digital dystopia planned for twenty oh yeah planned for twenty thirty, even those who cannot or will not leave the cities are beginning to question what their future holds if they remain in the tightly controlled metroplexes. While most readers likely do not agree with the vision put forth by the WEF, the UN, and their cartels, we cannot deny that these institutions are working night and day to achieve their 2030 agenda. They are working with hundreds of multinational corporations, nearly every major world government, and spending trillions of dollars to manifest the Great Reset. It's time for the people to envision, 20, envision what our 2030 will look like. If we know we reject the new normal and the Great Reset, we must understand what exactly we are seeking to create. Will it be you will own nothing and be happy? Or perhaps you will be thriving and you will be fulfilled? The answer completely depends on every single one of us. The future generations are depending on us to build an alternative to this technocratic vision. And uh, I will... Leave that there, ladies and gentlemen. So pretty interesting, huh? Pretty interesting.
The Sea Report and all the shows on this podcast channel are 100% listener supported. We don't have corporate sponsors. We don't have independent sponsors. Our sponsors are you, the listener. So if you like the work we do and like what we have to say and contribute to the world of news and information and entertainment, please show us your support. Make a monthly donation to help sustain future episodes at anchor.fm slash the sea report. Your support is greatly appreciated. From 99 cents per month to 4.99 per month to 9.99 per month. Every donation counts and every bit helps. Show your support for the Sea Report and other shows on this podcast channel by visiting anchor.fm slash the sea report and thanks y'all all right uh let's carry on so now we can spill into what was going on in davos right <laughs> tam Grell knows already right tam Grell knows it's just uh with my computer jacking up with uh distractions and interruptions coming from everywhere i just couldn't uh be too gracious just in that moment. I apologize. Okay. So let's talk about some of Ida Alkin's future and what the World Economic Forum is pushing and what they're talking about. Now, again, you guys have heard about this before, right? Cashless societies, digital currencies. Uh, let's take a gander at a recent advent with uh, what was going on this week, right? Okay, here we go. World Economic Forum, cashless societies and digital currencies of control. What's the article got to say? Let's get into this. It says the World Economic Forum, an international organization that works to shape global, regional and industry agendas, recently published its latest dystopian proposal, a far reaching digital ID system that will collect as much data as possible on individuals and then use this data to determine their level of access to various services. This digital ID proposal is outlined in a report titled Advancing, uh, Advancing Digital Agency, the Power of Data Intermediaries, and builds upon a digital ID framework that the World Economic Forum has published previously. Under this framework, the World Economic Forum proposes collecting data from many aspects of people's everyday lives through their devices, telecommunications networks, and third-party service providers. The World Economic Forum suggests that this, I, uh, this data collection dragnet would allow a digital ID to scoop up data on people's online behavior, purchase history, network usage, credit history, biometrics, names, national identity numbers, medical history, travel history, social accounts, e-government accounts, banking accounts, energy usage, health stats, education, and more. Once the digital ID has access to this huge, highly personal data set, the World Economic Forum proposes using it to decide whether users are allowed to own and use devices, open bank accounts, carry out online financial transactions, conduct business transactions, access insurance treatments, uh, insurance and treatments, book trips, go through border control between countries or regions, access third-party services that rely on social media logins, file taxes, vote, collect benefits, and more. Uh, now, here's a figure of this very digital identity. It uh, says here, identify identity in everyday lives. And I'll go ahead and put that up on the big one for you. So here you have your digital identity. Actually, I'll remove this as well. Digital identity, entities, people, devices, things, okay? 
So uh, let's see here. Uh, you got a little truck here, healthcare. For users to access insurance treatment to monitor health devices, wearable. For care providers to demonstrate their qualifications. Financial services to open the bank accounts, carry out on outline financial transactions, food and sustainability for farmers and consumers to verify provenance of produce to enhance value and traceability and supply chains, telecommunication to monitor devices and sensors transmitting data such as energy usage, air quality, traffic congestion, probably more than that. Uh, here's Well, actually, here's another telecommunications for users to own and use devices for service uh, providers to monitor devices and data on the network. Now you see why now you see why the uh, cell phone was so important. That's right. They did not just need to get everyone and their mother an Obama phone just so they could perform uh, Internet interactive activities on them. Right. Psychological operations and mind warfare. No, it's because they also want to make sure that every member of the herd is tagged. Mm. So anyhow, uh, let's see here. Travel and mobility to book trips to go through border control between countries or regions. Humanitarian response to access services to demonstrate qualifications to work in a foreign region. E-government for citizens to access and use services, file taxes, vote, collect benefits. Social platforms for social interactions to access uh, third-party services that rely on social media, logins, e-commerce, to shop, to conduct business transactions and secure payments. You know, and I was always like, oh, I never really understood why you can go to certain websites and it's like login with your GoOgle ID, login with your Facebook ID, login with your Twitter ID. And I was like, well, I guess that's convenient, right? I never did it because it was just annoying to me. But that makes sense now. Uh, apparently, everything is moving in the way that you have to log into your social media platforms where they keep your social score and they keep tabs on your life. Who wants to go back to Twitter, right? Um, and that's why they're already interlacing those methods into that, ladies and gentlemen. How how interesting, wouldn't you say? I would definitely say that that is interesting. Um, yeah, so, well, yeah, digital identity, we've heard about it for a long time. They're They're telling you about it now. Oh, there's more. Let's talk about uh, advancing digital agency. The power of data intermediaries report the W uh, the WEF, the World Economic Forum positions this digital ID framework as the part of the solution to a trust gap in data sharing because they don't trust you, ladies and gentlemen. They don't trust truthers. They don't trust sovereign citizens. They don't trust anyone that doesn't trust them. So this trust gap in data sharing that they're trying to... Uh, Fill the gap in. That's exactly what that's about. That's all. It's not about people not trusting the government. It's about them not trusting those that don't go along with their ideas. And notes uh, that vaccine passports, which were mandated across the world during the COVID-19 pandemic, do by nature serve as a form of digital identity. Okay, you want to hold on to that one. The World Economic Forum also praises the way vaccine passports have allowed governments to harvest data from their populations without notice and consent. Uh, it says here, at a collective level, vaccine data is an incredible public health asset. The United Kingdom government in particular has acknowledged this and has suggested that anonymization, pseudonymization, and data shielding techniques 
could be harnessed in a controlled environment to allow for the reuse of that highly sensitive data. In such cases, notice and consent is not required per se for the reuse of the data, but the intermediary processes the data undergoes must be done in a controlled environment so that the findings of the data set are made available rather than the data itself. Additionally, the World Economic Forum provides a specific example of how digital IDs could be used to authenticate a user by using fingerprints, a password, or identity verification technology and decide whether they should be granted access to a bank loan by judging their profile, which may include their biometrics, name, and national identity, and history, which may include their credit, medical, and online purchasing history. Okay, so this here from their... Um, from their um, document describes that, you know, medical history, physical attributes, etc. The World Economic Forum goes on to suggest that digital IDs will allow for the selection of preferences and the making of certain choices in advance and ultimately pave the way for automated decision making where a trusted digital assistant automates permissions for people and effectively manages their data across different services to overcome the limitations of notice and consent. This push for an invasive digital ID system from the World Economic Forum follows it proposing other similar surveillances systems, such as turning your heartbeat into a digital ID. Throughout the pandemic, the World Economic Forum has consistently advocated for vaccine passports and digital ID. Beyond these specific proposals, the World Economic Forum is infamous for its globalist and transhumanist agendas, such as the Great Reset, which proposes that people will own nothing and be happy. And the Fourth Industrial Revolution, which, according to World Economic Fo um, Foundation fo founder and chairman Klaus Schwab, will lead to a fusion of our physical, our digital and our biological identities, which is important to note because there are already articles which are true that are saying and here I go again, right? Well, what is my, what is the big deal, Mr. C? Here I go again. Are you ready? Elon Musk is, uh, he might like transhumanism, but that has nothing to do with the World Economic Forum. That has nothing to do with the Great Reset. That has nothing to do with uh, Davos. So leave Elon alone, right? Well, you know, maybe it has nothing to do with the Great Reset. Maybe it has nothing to do with the World Economic Forum, but it does have something to do with the Fourth Industrial Revolution, which is basically where... Klaus Schwab lays out his manifesto for the Great Reset, right? <laughs> it might have nothing to do with uh, the World Health Organization. It might have nothing to do with the global pandemic treaty, Elon Musk and his transhumanism. But clearly the ideas of transhumanism, and, and I'm only saying this because I was reading an article last night before I went to bed that was saying he has nothing, his transhumanism, Elon and his, trans and his transhumanism has nothing to do with it, right? And here, and alas, and behold, thanks to this article by uh, All the News. I don't know what that says. Anyways, A-L-E-T-O-N-H-E, Aletho News. <laughs> Goodness, ladies and gentlemen. Clearly, Klaus Schwab wants a fusion of physical, digital, and biological identities, just like Elon Musk wants. So that we can interface with AI in the coming AI um, global takeover and destruction of humanity. 
And you know, when it happens and we don't have those AI interlaces in our brains, everyone's going to blame me. They're going to be like, it's all because of you, Mr. C, that we didn't go along with Elon Musk's interneural link so that we could defeat the upcoming AI robot clone revolution. <laughs> uh, well, you know, you can't win them all, ladies and gentlemen. What do you want? Your human sovereignty is close to what God made you? I don't know. Governments and private corporations are increasingly embracing digital IDs. Some governments are also pushing a similar notion, social credit, style apps that monetize citizens' behavior and reward them for engaging in state-approved actions. All right. So that's a, that's a known but flushed out currently topic, right? Known but now flushed out the digital ID. Yes. They're still talking about it. They're still talking about it, ladies and gentlemen. You see, as Klaus Schwab says, the problem that we have is not globalization. It's that I can't walk around in the beach with a little uh, little lace and a little banana hammock on my penis without people taking a picture and calling me a clown. Anyways, have you guys seen that photo? Can anyone confirm that that is really Klaus Schwab walking around out there? <laughs> <laughs> in a lacy birthday suit. He says, the problem is a lack of global governance. All right, Professor Schwab. <laughs> what a monkey. Um, let's talk about, uh, what is this now? What are we moving on to? Oh, more digital systems of control, right? More ways for them to track us, more ways for them to uh, monitor us and control us. Uh, we have the president of Alibaba uh, sharing at the World Economic Forum uh, information about a carbon footprint tracker, which is technology that they are making for individuals to control them. Uh, so let's go ahead and check this out. The Canadian president of Alibaba shared at the World Economic Forum the technology that has been developed that can be used as a carbon footprint tracker. J. Michael Evans President of the Alibaba Group tells World Economic Forum invitees in Davos his company is developing an individual carbon footprint tracker. Um, Frank Gaffney's Secure Freedom Minute notes the concerns with the new technology coming from China's Alibaba. The convergence of the communists and capitalist wellsprings of the New World Order and its ominous implications for Americans and others who love freedom was on display in Davos, Switzerland yesterday. At the Globalist World Economic Forum, the Chinese Communist Party's tech giant Alibaba unveiled the next big thing in the planet's inexorable march to the digital gulag. It's called a personal carbon footprint tracker. And no, it does not count your steps, ladies and gentlemen. Evidently, we need to be concerned that Alibaba is a key enabler of the CCP's totalitarian surveillance state and its Uber Orwellian social credit system. That's because while this tracker will monitor your whereabouts, travel, personal consumption, and behavior, offering you inducements to do the right thing, there's no reason to worry that all that data will be collected and monitored by communist China because, you see, it's green, not yellow or red. Under the New World Order, privacy goes away and is replaced with more control. Yes, and not only will you uh, own nothing and be happy, but you will also be green, ladies and gentlemen. You will also be green. 
Oh, there we go. That, that's the banner I meant to have up. More global control carbon footprint trackers. Okay. So uh, how are they going to get all the ones that don't go along to get along to go along with this, ladies and gentlemen? Well, what do you think, right? Yeah. Yes, we are. Yes, it's true. I know you guys knew about this already. Re-education camps for those who resist the Great Reset. What? Right? Could they really do that to us? Do you think they would really round us up? I mean, if you're living in Ida Elkins 2030, yeah, they do it regularly. <clears throat> Here's an article, guys. World Economic Forum wants everyone who resists Great Reset to be forced into China-style re-education camps. Okay. Uh, now, um, let's see here. Uh, the person who wrote this article um, mentions a dude name, named Wang Gon, right? I don't think that's a play on words or a pun. Wang Gon. And uh, this Wang Gon guy, um, he is a World Economic Forum young global leader. And he is the one who's being vocal about pushing um, resistors into re-education camps. So like when I was looking into this Wang Gong guy, like he actually has videos that he's produced in China at the education camp, re-education camps. And he's like, do all the Chinese people resist the re-education camps? No, they don't. In fact, most of them come along and eventually see the light and then they get put back into society. You, on a social credit score, of course, right? The system, got to be a part of that. So uh, that's what Ethan Huff is writing about this guy, uh, since he is the one who's pushing these re-education camps as a member of the Global Young Leaders for the World Economic Forum. Uh, okay, so the article says, uh, similar to the ones where uh, U Uyghur Muslims are forced to live in China's Xinjiang province, Wang's re-education camps would be filled with people who support things like freedom, nationalism, and the right to bear arms. Wang currently works as a chief political correspondent for a Chinese state-run media out the, uh, outlet that airs programming specifically for the United States. He is, the one, he is one of 112 young global leaders who was personally selected by Schwab for the role. The WEF has become notorious for globalist intervention around the world, including but not limited to pushing for the Great Reset amidst COVID-19, reported Natalie Winters for the National Pulse. The group seeks to abolish property ownership at its core, summarizing this objective through its controversial expression, you will own nothing and be happy. The same media outlets where Wang was installed by Schwab to brainwash Americans also defends the Chinese Communist Party's genocide of the Uyghur Muslims. Um, the Chinese Communist Party is putting out propaganda films promoting concentration camps as places to learn valuable life skills. I'm surprised they didn't put life lessons, right? In a short film put together to promote re-education camps, Wang explained how he believes that the living conditions of Uyghur Muslims is a success and that it serves the purposes of the CCP to ethnically cleanse China in this way. 54 countries, most of them Muslim-majority states, defended China's counter-extremism efforts in Xinjiang, um, commending China in its development policies there and in providing care to its Muslim citizens. Wang said in the video, adding, and they probably have a point. The same feature also depicted survivors of these re-education camps praising the Chinese leaders for supposedly teaching them life skills to be successful. 
Um, we met 33-year-old artist Abulizakari Aubuli, uh, who perfected his painting skills in the re-education center and now works in a gallery. Um, how sweet the CCP's concentration camps are just misunderstood technical colleges, apparently. According to local officials, the vast majority of the attendees picked up a skill or two, completed their training, and went home, Wang further said in another video related, which was put out by the China Global Television Network. 26-year-old Rikuya Yakup spent 10 months in the education center. While there, she perfected her Mandarin skills and study sales. Now she is a real estate sales agent earning over 800 yuan, 8,000 yuan, more than $1,100 U.S. per month, way above local average income. The 26-year-old was then shown on screen claiming that she feels happier now that she endured re-education camps in China. She also said that she is happy she learned Mandarin because she can now receive both Han people and the Uyghurs. My income is considerable, she added. Another World Economic Forum young global leader who has been pushing an agenda publicly is journalist Daria Kalinick. As The Pulse reported about her, Kalinick confronted British Prime Minister Boris Johnson and demanded that NATO enter the war in Ukraine. It would seem as though Schwab has his minions all over the world pushing different agendas all at the same time. And as we have come to expect, all of it around, uh, revolves around his precious Great Reset. Um, okay, and that is that, guys. Interesting article. MK Ultra Camp says, Java, hey Java, what's going on? Good to see you, my friend. Welcome to the show. Glad you made it. Glad everyone made it, guys. If I had known President Trump was giving a speech at the NRA and it was going to be broadcasted, because I didn't receive any press or media alerts on it, ladies and gentlemen. I would not have gone at five o'clock with the World Economic Forum news. Trust me, I would not have done that. Do you think I want to be the person who comes between you and your president? Hell no! In fact, I would have been broadcasting it myself, but I didn't know. So, uh, tell you what. We will watch it for sure. Am I frozen again? Now my other computer's frozen. All right, carry on, carry on, carry on, carry on, carry. You know, you know, you know, you know the script here, ladies and gentlemen. I'll just let Microwave Marge take care of it for me. Well, the show must go on. Thank you, hun. I appreciate it. Okay. All right, let's continue. Okay, what do we got here? We got a bunch of protesters. All right. We got some people who are against the World Economic Forum. Okay, and these people do not look American, by the way. Do they look American to you? Nope, they don't look American to me at all. They don't look like Antifa either, even though the guy's prominently displaying a rainbow flag. But anyways, um, the reason why these guys are on the screen is because it appears that uh, Klaus Schwab had some words with someone about protesters. Uh, these conspiracy theorists, these anti-vaxxers, these peddlers of misinformation. Uh, let's check out what they said. Over there in Davos, Klaus Schwab, Pfizer CEO, trash conspiracy people at World Health Assembly. There is a very fanatic group of anti-vaxxers that will go after us no matter what, says Schwab. All right. World Economic Forum founder Klaus Schwab and Pfizer CEO Albert Borla, if you want to see what the two 
um, miscreants look like, took aim against the anti-vaccine and conspiracy people while boasting about vaccine efficacy and groundbreaking new plans to distribute vaccines to impoverished countries at the World Economic Forum meeting in Davos, Switzerland. As Borla assured Schwab that the U.S. and European governments provide liability for lawsuits for the pharmaceutical companies. Isn't that funny? Borlos assures Schwab that these com- countries provide liability for lawsuits against pharmaceutical companies if the vaccines are not working out well. And I bet you there was like laughter in the crowd, right? They're probably all ho, 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 if it doesn't work well. Borla rebuked opponents of compulsory COVID-19 vaccination. Borla says, with any other medicine, for example, we don't ask anyone to do anything with liabilities. But with a vaccine, we knew there is a very fanatic group of anti-vaxxers that would go after us no matter what. They will claim that the sun did not go up because people were vaccinated and that created issues with the crop. So I'm suing you. The Fi- no, that's not the reason why they're suing you, you idiot. The Pfizer CEO said this on Wednesday. And one thing it is to sue you. And one thing it is to sue you in the United States, another thing it is to sue you in a country where the legal system is not up to the standards or Switzerland. Ha! Admitting that we have the best legal system, even though it is amongst the corruptest or most corrupt. So I think that's behind us. Everything went okay, and I think we can move on. Well, you know, I guess the entire country is not a kangaroo court. It's just specific circuit and, uh, you know, district courts that are kangaroo courts, federal courts, right? Uh, let's see. So Schwab replies to this by saying, I think we, we were both targets of the anti-vaccine movements and conspiracy people claiming that I had triple. I wondered what this is, triple COVID. I was like... I was, I think you got hundreds of thousands of clicks and so on. And you know, you know, Klaus, who's sitting there in his female lace panties and snickering back and forth, right? Is just loving this conversation, right? I mean, he's like, finally, I get some spotlight. He says, Borla says, I read one day I was arrested by the FBI. Schwab says, clearly that had happened to me. Thank goodness I had my clean lace female panties on at the time. And then uh, Borla continues, and there are pictures of me in the FBI offices. I don't know how. The surprising thing it is, is that the same publication had published the previous one that was arrested. Uh, The previous one that was arrested was the Pope by the FBI. Borla continued, ridiculous. So we're in good company. I hear the Pope wears female lace panties as well. In November, Borla also lashed out at peddlers of misinformation, warning people spreading lies about COVID vaccine efficacy are criminals who have cost millions of lives. You mean they've cost them millions of lives, right? Lives like all of the millions and millions of lives it cost them. You know, the ones that didn't take the vaccine, the ones that didn't die. Oh, it cost them millions of lives, literally. They're like, all. those were all the lives we had in transaction for Satan. You cost us millions of lives to Satan. Clearly is what that means, right? That's more of their uh, double speak, dual reality type of language, guys. I'm telling you, once you see it, you see it, ladies and gentlemen. 
popular unveiled plans at the World Economic Forum meeting to deploy nurses and doctors to 45 impoverished company, countries in an effort to increase the vaccination rate and recommended uh, the public get a va- COVID vaccination every fall along with a flu vaccine to improve efficacy and compliance. I guess we don't really need to read what he said. He said, today we announced that we will offer all of our patent protected medicines, all vaccines or medicines that currently exist in the U.S. or in Europe to the 45 poorest countries in the world. Oh, it's that equity thing again, guys. It's that equity. Gotta give it to the ones that need it the most. Gotta give it to the most downtrodden. The ones that they decide are the most deserving. We, uh, we are also making a commitment that every year that we discover or bring the U.S. to Europe or to the world new medicines, today this dream is becoming a reality. To improve compliance, if someone thinks that I'm going to go to the doctor or the pharmacy, but at least with one shot, I will get two. Flu and that also will increase the number. So these are the things. It's very difficult to improve the efficacy right now. Borla continued, it's very, very high, but what you can improve, it is how convenient it is and how can last the efficacy for a longer period of time. I wish whoever transcribed this would say what they meant because I cannot understand his broken English and I'm reading it. The Greek Pfizer chief who speaks broken English. <laughs> the Gre- I mean, I clearly, right? He speaks broken English also boasted about how mRNA technology will become a remedy to treat cancer and give you some other disease instead, probably. We'll kill the cancer, but we'll give you a heart attack. We'll give you a pulmonary embolism. We'll give you an aneurysm. I think we'll see a lot of advancements with mRNA. And the good thing after the success of COVID is that right now we have a substantial wave of companies, biotechs and big pharma that are working on mRNA a lot and they are working on multiple applications of mRNA. So I think the first thing that I'm hopeful to see is other vaccines other than COVID. Flu vaccine, a single vaccine with mRNA or other vaccines with mRNA. The second wave that we could see is cancer. That's right, you are gonna cause cancer. We are, there are a lot of research companies for many years now trying to use your immune system to attack your cancer cells. There's no telling what that's going to cause our immune system to do, right? Oh, 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 your immune system's going to kill cancer, but we're going to give you AIDS. Oh, wait, they're already doing that to train your immune system. I'm pretty sure everyone in my audience knows the remedies to a healthy immune system, and it does not deal with a gene inoculation uh, um, that will uh, improve your immune system, right? Despite Borla audaciously heralding the benefits of mRNA technology documents released through FOIA requests by the FDA and Pfizer's own data confirms that the mRNA technology not only is carcinogenic, it often and often lethal, it also causes thousands of adverse effects. Crazy. And uh, there's your VAERS COVID vaccine mortality reports. Boy, look at that big spike in 2021. And that's after decades of no such spikes. What do you think caused that, ladies and gentlemen? I know you guys know the answer. And if I rewarded everyone who had the correct answer, I would run out of rewards. 
Okay, what else do we got coming up on information about the World Economic Forum? It appears that they had a panel on freedom of the press, right? Because like uh, like Schwab and Gorla talked about these raving conspiracy theorists, anti-vaxxers, you know, they also have to have a solution for controlling them. So of course that was going to be talked about at Davos this year. World Economic Forum Press Freedom Panel calls for algorithmic suppression of hate speech rumors. Oh, you mean they're going to implement on a much wider level that which they were already doing on Twitter? Thanks, Elon, right? Oh, if it weren't for you, Elon, I never would have figured out that there were algorithms on Twitter. Well, you know, it might have taken a little bit more work to figure out the facts behind the matter. But I'll leave that there. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not talking about Elon Musk anymore for the rest of this episode. Rumors, falsehoods, divisions, and hate speech should be suppressed by social media algorithms according to a Freedom of the Press panel at the World Economic Forum in Davos on Thursday. The World Economic Forum panel, which was held in collaboration with Time magazine, featured the head of Soros-backed Human Rights Watch, Kenneth Roth who argued that social media should not focus on banning or overt censorship, but rather on algorithmic manipulation in order to promote content from a subset of society, journalists, to convey information as carefully as possible to the public. The algorithms are written to promote engagement because engagement is profitable, engagement is more eyeballs, and what is engaging? The provocative rumors, falsehoods, hate speech, divisiveness. And again, that's against what they are pushing, not against the truth, right? I don't focus on so much on what should be taken down, the overt censorship, but rather what is being promoted. If algorithms are promoting information that in essence is false or divisive because it is profitable, no, because it's true, there I think there is accountability that is quite warranted for these companies. The statements from Roth fall in line with previous arguments from the Globalist World Economic Forum, which has previously called for the promotion of diversity and anti-bias on social media. A blog post published by the World Economic Forum last April said that technologies can be designed and developed in an inclusive manner by engaging those who are affected by online hate and discrimination. The Post said that tech companies should partner with organizations such as the Anti-Defamation League, and we all know what kind of work those guys do, which has already reportedly begun working with PayPal to blacklist and surveil so-called extremists. Unless tech companies want to play catch-up on a constant basis, they they should move beyond detection and content moderation to a holistic and proactive approach to how hatred is generated and disseminated online, the World Economic Forum argued. Roth went on to argue that social media has undermined journalistic strictures by empowering autocrats to speak directly to the public without the filter of news editors and journalists. What world does this Kenneth Roth live on when he doesn't realize that the autocrats have empowered and are paying the journalists and the editors to spread their propaganda? 
I mean, the duality reality that we are facing here, guys, are you guys having some kind of cognitive cognitive dissonance, like, triggers going off? Because I'm like, this guy's talking about this, like, he ain't against us. Like, he doesn't know that, that it's actually the exact reverse. Like, how manipulative or how well-trained does one have to be in order to live, deliver such types of statements without feeling, seeming, or appearing disingenuous or fake. Again, that's why you get people like Clinton, any either of them, or Obama, or even Biden, who can go up there, or Kamala, and talk about securing our national security. Bush, our national security. And I love America because they are talking about their version of America. They understand that duality the people out there asleep in this country and half the herd or more don't understand that there is a duality reality with these individuals, right? And uh, that's why they don't sound fake. That's why you really believe that Barack Obama loves America, even if he does a little chuckle and a snicker and a sideways smile just after finishing that statement. They'll never notice that chuckle, that sideways smile and that snicker. They'll never notice it, the sleeping Americans, because Barack Obama said... I love America, and they believe it. Because he does too. Because it's internalized. And it's because he's talking about their version of America. They're talking about a beautiful 2030 for them and their people, not us. Okay? It's crazy. God, man, these people are just masters of this doublespeak. While the left-wing Human Rights Watch chief admitted that newsroom editors are not perfect, pointing to the editors at Fox News, who somehow are letting Tucker Carlson talk about the replacement theory, Roth argued uh, that the fact-checking features of the mainstream media was essential for democracy to function. Uh, really? You really believe that? Social media has become a way for autocrats and others to evade journalistic accountability. It used to be that to get information out, you would need to pass through an editor. So what they're trying to do is just clamp down on free flow of information. He's not talking about the journalists or the editors because none of them are doing a damn thing right now. Look at Fox News, right? Tucker Carlson being the exception to a point, right? The only ones who are being the gatekeepers to all of this information. I mean, come on, Mr. Roth. How many people in the world knew about your uh, international health regulations, amendments, and the global pandemic treaty? None of us. Because your editors, who used to be the ones that autocrats had to pass through, are not doing their job because they were paid for and placed by the very autocrats or the autocrats handlers that you are talking about in a very, very dualistic manner at this conference. Debunking Kenneth Roth on the Sea Report, ladies and gentlemen. What we're doing right now, okay? It's a bunch of bull. It is a highly deceptive, extremely manipulative what this man is sharing right now. If it is a man, it's probably a woman. So yeah, pretty, pretty disgusting, ladies and gentlemen, I would have to say. So they want to take a new advance towards these algorithms. Don't, don't put in your algorithms what to block and censor and shadow ban. Put in your algorithms what to promote. And uh, put so much of it that it just 
automatically blocks out all the other voices. Or, or put in your algorithms that uh, content has to pass through a journalist or an editor. Because that way, in the future, they can still have social media platforms, but uh, it won't get past any of their algorithms, and they won't look like they're censoring you. It's just because, you know what? And then they can sp spin all of these little uh, profligations about uh, it's just that it's not popular, this nation, nation nationalism. It's, it's not popular being unvaccinated. It's not popular to against, go against COVID-19. It has nothing to do with uh, the majority of people feeling this way. And they'll be able to lie about it because they will have the algorithms that do not say that they are censoring you. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? So, yeah, well, there you go, guys. They go on to talk about authoritarian regimes at the end of this article. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> whilst ignoring press issues in countries like Israel, Hungary, Egypt, and the Philippines, I wonder why they picked those countries in particular. What about the entire Western world, which is being propagandized and lied to by their government paid for or acting as the government press, you know, whichever one it may be, right? <coughs> whichever one it may be. Disgusting. Disgusting, ladies and gentlemen. It's disgusting. All right, here's our next topic for conversation. Oh boy, we're almost there, guys. We are almost there. We did have a few, a handful, it looks more than a handful, looks like maybe a few dozen people show up to the United Nations headquarters to protest the World Health Organization takeover. Okay, so finally we've gotten here, guys. We've gotten past all of the hubbub, all the dreams and desires of these globalist um, henchmen. And we finally got into the topic at hand, which is this uh, World Health Organization takeover of the world, right? What's going on there? Have you guys heard the news yet or no? I haven't been able to read the chat so maybe not. Maybe no one has told you guys yet. Okay, well, we'll get there. Okay, so um, we had some people come up and protest. Good to know, right? They show up in New York. They show up in New York. There's a little article about it. Don't know if we'll go through the whole thing, but uh, basically uh, uh, one New Yorker uh, said, every human being now and in the future will be negatively affected by this unprecedented illegal global pandemic treaty. Okay. There has been virtually no participation allowed from the people to stop this globalist hijacking of the sovereignty of nations. The Davos elite is unelected and unaccountable, and they are being forewarned at protests like this one here outside the UN that we, the people will not comply. Okay. So, uh, that is the gist. <laughs> That's the gist of what I want to share. Just so, you can, just so you know, some people did get out there and do it. Some people ignored Tracy Baines and they were like, no, there is something going on here. What are you, stupid? And so um, that, that happened, right? That happened. Um, so, you know, and you know, you know, some people just can't see it by reading the source material. But a lot of people were speaking out about it. You know, we talked about, again, almost at nauseum here at the Sea Report, you know, um, about the international health regulations. And again, I have to stress, as I did at the beginning of the show, the uh, IHR amendments that give sovereignty to the World Health Organization in the event of a, a global emergency health-wise and the global pandemic treaty are two separate documents. Okay, that's very important to understand. They are two separate documents, okay? 
they do almost the same thing. One is far more detailed than the other one, and one is far more clear on the sacrifice of global de uh, self-determination by nations. Does that like in the treaty? There's nowhere that it says or can be stricken that a nation no longer has self-determination. The global pandemic treaty, nowhere in there does it say that. But one would understand by all of the language in that treaty, okay, I went through 65 pages of it today, all right, before I got on the air, you would understand by the language in that treaty that obviously you're giving up your sovereignty if you are doing all of these things and functions for the benefit of the World Health Organization to implement or determine or do whatever it is that they want in your country. But nowhere in the global pandemic treaty does it say or does it strike out any type of language that would grant sovereignty to the World Health Organization. That is found in the amendments to the International Health Regulations of 2005, two separate documents. I was not aware of this global pandemic treaty until yesterday when I'm going through all of these news headlines and I'm like, why do they keep saying the global pandemic treaty? Why do they keep saying the amendments to the IHR is not really a treaty, but like the, uh, like the interview we watched last night at the close of the show. Like even, I guess they don't understand that they're two separate documents. They are two totally separate individual documents that have their own function, but everyone is calling them the same thing. Global Pandemic Treaty does not specifically give one sovereignty over to the World Health Organization. It does outline everything that you will allow and do for them, but if you still have your sovereignty, you, will, you can say no. But... They take care of that in the separate individual document, which is the amendments to the International Health Regulation. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to make sure I'm clear on this and that everyone understands that the amendments are not a treaty, okay? They are amendments to a legally binding contract that we joined in the 1960s, okay? And the Global Pandemic Treaty is a treaty that tells you what you're going to do when a pandemic happens, but it is basically almost powerless unless the amendment to the IHR pass. All right. Okay. We're on level now. So like I said, a lot of people talking about it. Um, we're not going to go through the entire IHR thing again and everything, but you know, just so you have some examples, right? We watched that interview last night with the lawyer that talked about it, right? You have this Republican Congressman, Chris Smith from New Jersey of all places, um, who um, verifies that the amendments that Biden offers, right, to the 2005 health regulations give the United Nations World Health Organization and its director, Tedros Ad, Ad hominem uh, Gubresos, uh, more power to oversee how countries handle health emergencies, okay? Um, so obviously that's everything. I, I'm assuming that most of my um, audience understands that unless you just caught on recently. Um Okay, so uh, going along with what else is uh, said in this article, like I said, we're not going to go through all of it. Uh, just some clarifications, right? It says, uh, it says here, right now there has to be an equal collaboration between the WHO, the World Health Organization, and the country where there's an emergency health issue, Smith said. This now changes all of that um, all of the way that it and says WHO has exclusive rights to declare health emergencies. Now, does it say that in the amendments? No, it strikes out 
the portion of the document that says we have determination and the ability to disagree, okay? We no longer have the ability to disagree if this passes. I have, good, some, I have some news for you guys on that front, by the way. It says this would be done by an emergency committee, again, whose members are appointed by the World Health Organization's director, okay? Um, if the, the World Health Organization thought the United States of America had some kind of health crisis, they could demand that we make, take actions because they have the ability to propose a remedy. And we have no ability to disagree. And if we do disagree, as I showed you guys when I took you through the actual 85-page document of the IHR, if you do have a disagreement with them, well, then you have to go and get adjudicated. And you're going to be adjudicated by a body of your peers. All the other countries who work for the globalists are going to make a decision whether or not your disagreement is valid. So you're locked into it either way. You're locked into it either way. Okay? That's just some quick recaps. Yeah, I don't know about a convention of states, 123SKG, and uh, good to see you, my friend. Uh, but maybe, maybe. It, it depends on what's going to happen next. It depends on what's going to happen next, okay? Uh, because... Ah! What is... What the heck? Get off of my screen, child sniffer. Anyways, okay. Um, let me see what we got. It, it depends on what happens next, 123SKG. Uh, um, because, well, we have to figure out where we go first. I mean, I mean, I could see a convention of states happening had this thing gone through, right? Had it gone through. Now, um, the global pandemic treaty, okay? Here is your international health regulations 2005. Remember this document? We went through all of it just about on episode 303, Okay. All right, just to help those who cannot see, see. All right. He, oh, <laughs> why? Okay, yeah, yeah, these fools, right? He's, oh, we fooled you. We fooled you. They're two separate documents. Ha 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 ha. Why is that important, do you think? Why do you think it's important to know that they are two separate documents, right? Like I explained, one lays down in great detail everything that you will do and give up to the World Health Organization, the United Nations, and the other one takes away the sovereignty. So right away, there could be a sleight of hand here, guys. Think about it. Say they don't agree with the amendments, but they still pass the treaty. Or say they don't pass the treaty, but they pass the amendments. Both of which these documents did not come into our hands just outside of a month or a fewer days prior to this, um, prior to this, um, um, voting on it, right? Here is your pandemic global agreement. So you can see it in the flesh guys, totally separate from the IHR. Okay. Totally separate. Now we're not going to go through this document today because time is precious and it is 65, 56 pages long, all right? Um, I already went through this, and we may go through it on another day soon, okay? Went through all of it, all right? Okay. All right, here's some proof of my work, all right? Some stuff you want to know, all right? Um, just to give you an example of, of some of the things that they talk about in this document, I'll, give you, I'll take you to the cheat sheets, right? Down here. Uh, let, let's see, what's a good juicy one that we can give you guys? Um, 
They're all kind of juicy. Oh, wait, wait. Down here are the cheat sheets. My bad. Yeah, here are the cheat sheets. Here are the cheat sheets. Go to Annex 2, all you people who've never seen this document. So this way you don't have to read all 56 pages. It's, it's summarized quite nicely here in 20 pages. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Uh, so, you know, it talks about, like, your heads of government and how they will commit and invest. Like, that's obviously very generic sounding when we're talking about it. But I want to give you guys some juice. The United Nations must strengthen coordination mechanisms. United Nations SG and the World Health Organization and United Nations OCH must strengthen coordination in different country, health and humanitarian emergency contexts by ensuring clear UN system-wide roles and responsibility, rapidly resetting rep preparedness and response strategies during health emergencies, and enhancing UN system leadership for preparedness, including through routine simulation exercises. The UNSG and WHO DG and Undersecretary General for Humanitarian Affairs strengthens coordination and identifies clear roles and responsibilities and timely triggers for, trigger, uh, for a coordinated UN system-wide response for health emergencies in different countries and different health and humanitarian emergency context. The UNSG UN convenes a high-level dialogue with health, security, and foreign affairs officials to determine how the world can address the threat of a lethal respiratory pathogen pandemic, um, as well as managing preparedness for disease outbreaks in complex, insecure contexts, right? So that's what they're going to use as their reasoning, right? For getting into all of this, um, it talks here about introducing an approach to mobilize wider national, regional, international community, community at earlier stages of an outbreak. Um, it goes on to talk about the national leaders and leaders of international organizations and other stakeholders taking decisive action based on their science, evidence, and the best practices when confronted with health agencies um, to discourage politicization of measures to protect public health. Um, and it goes on and on and on, guys. There's a whole lot, right? I know that was very generic. Uh, but I have something better for you guys because I'm not going to take you through 56 pages of this document, ladies and gentlemen. Basically, like I said, the uh, amendments give them the sovereignty. The treaty lays down in detail everything that they can do. So I'm going to let Tucker say it for me, Okay. I already told you guys I was going to let Tucker say it for me. Uh, but just as I identified earlier, Tucker considers the amendments and the treaty to be the same thing. They're not, okay? It is a common mistake I am finding that a lot of people are making. And I think it's maybe because they are not reviewing the source documents themselves. They're not the same thing. And that could be very important if you know how lawyers and legislators work when it comes to these types of things, you know it is important to understand that they are two separate documents. Anyways, with that said, I'll let Tucker take it from here. All right, he's going to give me a little bit of a break because <laughs> I've been talking too much. And, uh, and then we'll wrap up the show, guys, after this. We'll wrap up the show after this. So without further ado... Here is probably the last remaining tolerable person on Fox News, Tucker Carlson. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. Tonight, happy Thursday. We want to open this evening with a story you may not have heard, but that you should definitely know about. It begins early last year when Joe Biden, as one of his very first acts as president, brought the United States back into the World Health Organization. We saw this, we thought, 
Why would Biden be so anxious to do something like that? At the time, we assumed it was just part of his larger de-orangeification effort. Trump had pulled the U.S. out of the World Health Organization, so Biden had to do the opposite. Childish, but that seemed like a fair explanation. Still, it did seem a little weird because there aren't many international bodies that are more thoroughly discredited than the World Health Organization, particularly after COVID. It's a laughing stock. There's one thing it's not good at. It's public health. Since the very first cases of the coronavirus were reported in Wuhan, the WHO slavishly ran interference for the Chinese government and did it in the most cartoonish and obvious way. First, WHO claimed there was no evidence of human-to-human transmission of the virus. Remember this? They cited Chinese officials who were obviously lying, and we now know they were lying. Then, when it became clear the virus probably came out of a Chinese government lab, WHO sabotaged the investigation into the origin of the virus by appointing a gain-of-function researcher to lead the investigative team. Pretty shocking if you think about it. And to this day, the WHO still has not acknowledged it did any of that, though it definitely did. Instead, they've continued to praise China's response to COVID as, quote, transparent, which is the one thing it's not. It's almost amusing. But again, it's weird if you think about it. Why would Joe Biden want to join a group that every informed person laughs at? Well, more than a year later, we think we know the answer. The Biden administration is very close to handing the World Health Organization power over every aspect, the intimate aspects of your life. So imagine the civil liberties abuses that you lived through during the COVID lockdowns, but permanent and administered from a foreign country. Here's what we're looking at tonight. This January, the Biden administration submitted a series of proposed amendments to something called the International Health Regulations, the IHR. Now, the Biden administration's amendments, along with those from several other countries, will be combined to create a new global pandemic treaty. We need a pandemic treaty. That treaty is set to be adopted starting this weekend in Geneva at the World Health Assembly. Now, the full text of the treaty is not yet finished, but a WHO working group has summarized what it's going to look like. The document begins by promising to restrict the WHO's authority just to pandemics. Calm down. It's just pandemics. Quote, WHO secretariat to play the leading, convening and coordinating role in operational aspects of emergency response to a pandemic. End quote. So don't get paranoid. Someone needs to coordinate the pandemic response globally because it's a global problem. Got it? Settle down, conspiracy nut. But here's the catch. The World Health Organization gets to define what a pandemic is, when a pandemic is in progress, and how long a pandemic lasts. Then you read the fine print and you realize the WHO will have total authority over emergency operations in the United States if there is ever a, quote, public health emergency. Huh? What qualifies exactly as a public health emergency? Well, they don't define that. But they get to. They get to decide what a public health emergency is. And then they have total authority. You can see where this is going. Now, the Biden administration has made certain that unelected bureaucrats at the WHO have total authority to declare and define public health emergencies. They did it explicitly. The White House eliminated a provision that would have required the World Health Organization to, quote, consult with an attempt to obtain verification from the state party in whose territory the event is allegedly occurring in. So as originally written, they couldn't do anything without the permission of their member country's governments. But thanks to the change that the Biden administration put, pushed, effectively, there is no limit at all on WHO's power. And then it gets worse from there. The treaty also mandates a, quote, 
whole of government and whole of society approach to pandemic preparedness. Hmm, think about that. Every society is always preparing for a pandemic. And that means there will not be a moment ever when the WHO doesn't have operational control over so-called public health matters in this country. Now, what's that going to mean exactly? You've already guessed it's not really about public health. It never is. But before we tell you what exactly it's going to mean, you should know that none of this is going to be optional. Thanks to an amendment from the Biden administration, the treaty contains a provision for a compliance committee. Ooh, there's always the stick. It provides that every member country in the WHO must, quote, inform WHO about the establishment of its national competent authority responsible for overall implementation of the IHR that will be recognized and held accountable. Under this treaty, WHO members must enforce orders from the WHO. They have to act as the heavies for the WHO. And if they don't, they'll be sanctioned. The White House is going to be the muscle for the director of the World Health Organization. So who is the director of the World Health Organization? Well, that would be a former member of Ethiopia's Marxist-Leninist party called Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus. He once led the Ministry of Health in Ethiopia. He's not a physician. But as the head of the Ministry of Health in Ethiopia, for political reasons, he covered up three cholera outbreaks, the opposite of what he's supposed to do. He wrote off cholera as simply acute watery diarrhea. Again, he's not a doctor, so maybe he didn't know, but he did know. He did it for political reasons. Those outbreaks were taking place among disfavored groups. Then Tedros tried to appoint Robert Mugabe, the racist murderer who ran Zimbabwe into the ground, as an international goodwill ambassador for public health. Now, at the time, Zimbabwe was the poorest, most mismanaged, most racist country in the world. And yet Tedros thought he should be a goodwill ambassador for public health. These are some of the reasons that Tedros, needles to say, is a close friend of Tony Fauci's. So uh, Tedros is really a, an outstanding person. I've known him from the time that he was the Minister of Health of Ethiopia. I mean, obviously, over the years, uh, anyone who says that the WHO has not had problems has not been watching the WHO. But I think under his leadership, they've done very well. Yeah, they've done very well. He's, a, he's an outstanding person, that friend of Robert Mugabe's. And because he's such an outstanding person, we are days away from giving him operational control over our government's public health system, the one that you pay for and thought you controlled in this democracy. So what will this operational control mean? Let's be specific. Right off the bat, the treaty demands, quote, national and global coordinated actions to address the misinformation, disinformation, and stigmatization that undermine public health. Oh, here we go. Right to censorship. People are criticizing us, and for public health reasons, that can't be allowed. If you criticize us, people will die. So you saw yesterday the Biden administration, in the face of universal laughter and derision, had to fire the head of its new Ministry of Truth. But they found another way to do it. Quote, WHO Secretariat to build capacity to deploy proactive countermeasures against misinformation and social media attacks. Oh, are you following this? So they're going to get to censor anybody who doesn't agree with what they do as they control the intimate details of your life. And they will control those details. 
Under this treaty, the World Health Organization will get to establish vaccine passports and regulate travel. World Health Organization will, quote, develop standards for producing a digital version of the International Certificate of Vaccination and Prophylaxis. Okay. So you may be thinking, well, it's just about COVID, and I went along with mandatory vaccines and vaccine passports at the time. How bad could it be? <laughs> First of all, if you went along with that, you should be repenting right about now. But it's not just about COVID, because WHO will be in charge of, quote, the digitalization of all health forms. World Health Organization will also, quote, share real-time information about travel measures. So you're going to find out exactly when you're allowed to get on a bus or train or airplane. Or how about your bicycle? Will they regulate that too? Maybe. Now, the World Health Organization has thought, sought this authority for years. Of course, who doesn't want more power? Here's Tedros back in April of 2020. People in countries with stay-at-home orders are understandably frustrated with being confined to their homes for weeks on end. But the world will not and cannot go back to the way things were. There must be a new normal, a world that's healthier, safer, and better prepared. Okay, so there's a guy with a long and documented history of subverting public health, who is clearly a liar, who is acting as an agent for the Chinese government. And you have to ask yourself, did I vote for that guy? Is he one of my elected representatives in this democracy? How did he get power over where I can travel and when? Good question. And it's not just lockdowns that that man, Tedros, would be able to dictate. The World Health Organization would also assume total control over vaccine manufacturing and distribution. We're not making this up, by the way. According to the document, WHO would create a, quote, truly global end-to-end -end platform for vaccines, diagnostics, therapeutics, and essential supplies, shifting from a model where innovation is left to the market to a model aimed at delivering global public goods. And we're not making it up. It act, that's a verbatim quote. It actually says that. No more innovation, centralized control. According to the treaty, those vaccines and essential medicines, because it gets better on every page, will be distributed not on the basis of need, but on the basis of equity. Equity is, quote, it says, critically important for global health, both as a principle and as an outcome. That's what the treaty declares. Therefore, the World Health Organization will ensure, quote, equitable and effective access to vaccines, therapeutics, diagnostics, and essential supplies and for clinical trials. And that means, again, quoting, healthcare workers and the most vulnerable will have priority access. Not the sickest, not the people who need the medicine most, but the most vulnerable in a larger sense. In other words, favored groups get medicine first. There is no graver violation of medical ethics than this. Every physician practicing in the United States promises not to do what you just heard. And it would become mandatory under this treaty. And by the way, that the language you just heard, that is exactly the justification that officials in several states threw out when they were caught passing out vaccines based on race. This is a power grab. It's dangerous. It is, by the way, a reward to the very people who screwed up two years of COVID response. Oh, let's give them more power. This is lunacy. And people who know that it's happening are upset.
125,000 people in the UK have just called for a referendum on this treaty. They signed a petition. In democracy, that would matter. You get to petition your government, you remember? But the British government doesn't care what they think. And now there's the Biden White House. In this country, there's been very little pushback because most people have no clue this is happening. We didn't until a bunch of people bothered us about it. You should look into it. We did and we're shocked. We didn't know because our media isn't covering this. It's not on the front page. Why is that? <laughs> you have to ask yourself. There is at least one planned legal challenge to this, and it comes from Stephen Miller's group, America First Legal. Here's what's at stake, not just your health, but the way that you live and your relationship to the government. Representative government requires your consent. You alone have the right to choose your representatives, your style of government, the laws under which you live, that is called democracy, and this eliminates it. It is a constitutional republic that happens to be democratic, Tucker Carlson. Don't you just love that laugh? Oh, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> he could be Mickey Mouse. Uh, so thank you, Tucker, for doing in a far more concise way. Thank you, writers, uh, for doing in a far more concise way what I could not do right now, guys, because... Everything that he showed you in there is from the Pandemic Global Treaty, not the IHR amendments and not the IHR itself. Two separate documents, guys. So very, very good. Much, much better. I think this aired a few days, uh, but no, it aired on like, um, I think like on the 16th, maybe it aired. I'm not sure. Uh, so yeah, and not many people talking about it, right? Not many people talking about it. Of course, that is to be expected. Um, however... Ladies and gentlemen, what do I got here? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of people are asking the questions like, uh, okay, clearly no one has shared the information. No one has spread the news with you guys yet. And you know what? I'm glad because at least I could tell you guys about it since today was a World Health Organization, World Economic Forum episode covering Davos. Um, the World Health Organization, as of today withdrew from Biden's public health emergency amendments. Ladies and gentlemen, yes, that's right. It's been defeated, okay? It's been defeated. All right, everyone, bust out your shot glasses, okay? It's been defeated, okay? For now, it's been defeated. Now, this is most interesting because I have one final article to share with you guys before we close tonight off. And uh, the article was talking about how the global pandemic treaty was likely not to pass, but Biden's amendments to the IHR would still be on the table. Then as I'm putting this show together for this afternoon, after reading all 85 pages, no, whatever that was for uh, the treaty itself. Remember guys, the treaty, for all of, the, all of the, those of you who showed up late, the treaty, okay, <laughs> the, uh, the actual treaty, yes, everything that Tucker said, the words that he shared on the screen come from this document, all right, I read it myself, that's what was highlighted, just couldn't locate it in a fancy, uh, fast way to uh, communicate it to you guys, um, that would still be on the table, so we'll figure out, I guess after tomorrow, what exactly is coming out of this, but as of right now is being reported, the WHO has temporarily withdrawn from Biden's lunatic, crazy, uh, um, 
obeisance, right, to the World Health Organization on behalf of the whole world. Like, who the hell does this guy think he is that he's going to offer the sovereignty of every nation on this planet just about to an international, you know, uh, um, an international uh, freaking organization? I don't know. Okay, so I'm sure you guys... I'm sure you guys are interested for the details. So let's get into this article. And well said, 123SKG, round one has been defeated. But keep this in mind, guys. They are two separate documents. So we are not just fighting to stop the takeover. We have to be specific. No amendments offering our sovereignty and no treaties outlining the uh, nation's responsibility as part of the UN, as part of the World Health Organization, to allow them to do all of these things. All of those fine details, like the digital ID card, which, ladies and gentlemen, yes, the digital ID is part of the global treaty. Got it right there. I'm not going to share this article with you, but it was in the queue. World Health Organization Global Pandemic Treaty includes plan for mandatory universal digital passport and ID system. Yes, indeed, guys. It's in the treaty. I read it myself. So all of that, right, including all of this equity talk about who they're going to get to choose, who they think is going to get the vaccines or the medication or uh, who's going to be like quarantined or sequestered. It's all in the treaty. It's not in the IHR. So we have to remain vigilant, just as 123SKG says, but we also need to be specific, right? Because then we're going to sound like everyone else who's going out there saying that Biden's treaty is giving away our sovereignty when it's not his treaty to begin with. And it's just amendments to an entirely separate document from the global pandemic treaty. And then we're going to look like something that we don't want to look like, right? We're going to look like sensationalists who have no idea what they're talking about. They can't even figure out that there's more than one document that does all of this, right? I'm just trying to help us be better, guys. I'm just trying to help us be better. Let's take a look at how the World Health Organization... Let's take a look at how Biden's amendments were defeated. Round one, fight. Goes like this. The World Health Organization withdrew 12 of the 13 amendments submitted by the Biden administration to alter the international health regulations, not the global pandemic treaty, at the World Health Assembly annual meeting Reuters confirmed on Thursday. All right, Gateway Pundit, I beat you to the story, so I'm going to just skip over your um, self-aggrandizing. Let's see here. The amendments would reform the international health regulations of 2005 to delegate U.S. medical sovereignty to the World Health Organization during a public health emergency or outbreak. Upon approval, World Health Director Tedros Adhominem Ghebreyesus and any of his successors would have unrestricted authority to implement WHO regulations. Brazil, as we already knew, Iran, Malaysia, and some African nations reportedly objected to incorporating the amendments and insists the modifications proposed by Biden should be consolidated in a new pandemic treaty. Oh, you see that, guys? Do you see that? Do you see that? Okay. Indeed, indeed, 123SKG, round one. Okay. So maybe too many people figured out Biden's amendments, or maybe, maybe all of Biden's peers on this globe were like, you really think we want this crazy nut to offer these amendments? And then we're going to be too stupid to see that he's handing over our sovereignty, right? Like they don't want to, they don't want to be caught by the guy that's obviously is not good for the job. And they're gonna be like, World Health Organization, why did you even have Biden do this? Look at him His people don't need people can see he's clearly falling apart. 
inside and out, right? So they want a new pandemic treaty. Oh, so that means there's going to be new language to, to, to read. That means that the entire global pandemic treaty that they have already outlined that Tucker Carlson so eloquently shared with you guys, that I have 65 pages worth of source material, um, they're going to do a whole new one? Well, I don't know. I mean, it seems to me that they would need to amend their IHR, their international health regulations, as it precedes the pandemic treaty. And uh, I don't think you could view the pandemic treaty as a health regulatory doctrine. But what do I know, right? I'm no, I'm no lawyer. I'm no, I'm no Harvard PhD. You know, it just seems to me that that you would need to amend those, um, amend those responsibilities in the IHR. Anyhow, let me get off my tangent. The African delegation agreed with the substance of the amendments, but warned the amendment process should not be rushed through. <laughs> okay. The African region shares the view that the process should not be fast-tracked. Moses Ketile, Deputy Permanent Secretary in Botswana's Health Ministry, told the Assembly on Tuesday. Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro was the only leader to oppose the pandemic treaty and rebuked Biden's amendments, assuring his country would not surrender its sovereignty to the globalist institution. As we uh, watched yesterday uh, when we talked about it, uh, Brazil will not get into this WHO pandemic treaty. Brazil is autonomous. Brazil is autonomous and will not get into this. You can forget about that. I've already spoken to our foreign relations cabinet, and if that proposal goes forward, it won't be with Brazil. The thing about it is that Jair might want to do, I apologize, President Bolsonaro might want to do, I don't know him, we're not on a first name basis, is um, find out if he is a member of the IHR and if he signed that contract. I don't know when. It was updated in 2005, but we joined it in 1969. Because we already went through what the IHR says. Do I have to say it a third time, right? If you are already signed up to the IHR and you disagree with the who, oh, you go into adjudication and the peers around you will decide whether or not your disagreement is valid. It's a lock-in. It's, you can't get out of it. It's, it's ridiculous, you know? If everyone is on the globalist side and they all say COVID-19 is real, but you don't, guess what? They will decide your fate and you are still legally bound. Just being real, I totally respect President Bolsonaro, probably a whole lot more than other leaders. Moreover, I was the only statesman that did not adhere to the lockdown policies, the populist president continued. I said we had to take care of the elderly and the people with comorbidities, and today's studies outside Brazil especially show that I was right. Uh, it says here, a bullet has been dodged, but the United Nations agency is slated to readdress Biden's amendments at its upcoming meeting on June 16th to the 17th. You know, the one where there's not so much attention being given to. Let's see what else they come up with to distract us, right? The WHO will also consider the separate pandemic treaty. Oh, oh, someone got it right. The separate pandemic treaty, which is currently being drafted when it reconvenes August 1st. So they're going to make a new one. Okay. The remaining HHS Amendment, Article 59, so this is the only one of the 13 amendments that remains. Entry into force, period for rejection or reservations, would decrease the time members of the WHO have to reject amendments from 18 months to 6 months, allowing the World Health Organization to fast-track future amendments. 
So yes, that is accurate. They have removed Article 2 Amendment, or 12, which is the one that takes away our sovereignty. Good, good. But they're going to address it again in uh, about a month, guys. Less than a month. And they're going to have a whole brand new 56 pandemic treaty to go through come August. Craziness, ladies and gentlemen, craziness. Now, last article to share with you guys, and we'll call it a wrap. Here's the one. This one I was going to share with you guys last night. World Health Assembly unlikely to pass pandemic treaty, but Biden's amendments are on the table. So I don't have any other updates on this pandemic treaty as of the time of this broadcast. So I am super curious if the World Health Organization withdrew from the amendments, then what did they do with the pandemic treaty? According to the TGP, they're working on a new one for August. But you know what? I got to find that out for myself. So I'll let you guys know as soon as I find out. Um, uh, But let's go through this article real quick. According to a flustered report at the Washington Compost on Sunday, the World Health Organization might not be able to muster the support it needs for a sweeping global pandemic treaty at the World Health Assembly currently in progress, but amendments proposed by the Biden administration to reduce the influence of member state governments reduce the influence over the World Health Organization's disease outbreak declarations are still on the table. We now know they are no longer on the table, right? The Washington Compost grumbled that the World Health Organization is facing a visceral, passionate online backlash that falsely accuses the World Health Organization of conspiring to take power from national governments. Now, see, that's interesting because like I said, there's been this, there's been two conversations here. There's been conversations about the World Health Organization taking over everyone's sovereignty. And then there's been conversations about this treaty that's, that's taking it away. And they're two separate things. So it's interesting how the confluence of all this information is coming together and how they are handling it or addressing it. Hmm. Because the treaty didn't do that. The treaty gave you the blueprint of what they could do if they had the authority to to have the sovereignty of one's uh, deter- of a nation's determination. Like that's what the pandemic treaty does. It does not give you sovereignty. We've been through this guys. Okay. Anyways, the article treated concerns about damage to national sovereignty from a pandemic treaty, which it's not the treaty or the world health organization rules change as wholly irrational. The work of conspiracy theorists or people over at uncovered DC uh, in the United States, Canada, and Europe, whose fear-mongering is far-fetched that they are an inversion of reality. There is also some backlash from Russia and China, where critics claim the World Health Organization reforms could be a power grab by Western countries hoping to undermine authoritarian regimes. Lodged in this sea of invective where uh, were acknowledgments that the great global pandemic treaty will not be coming up for a vote at this year's World Health Assembly. Oh, so that's what it means. Or even reaching its final form. Okay, so that's what the title of this article means. World Health Assembly unlikely to pass pandemic treaty because what's being omitted is that it's not going to be voted on during the session. Oh, okay. That makes perfect sense. All right. So nothing untoward happened to it. It's just they're not considering it during the session. Oh, you gotta love clickbait. Okay, so let's uh, finish this up. 
The backlash against the potential loss of national sovereignty and well-founded concerns about the competence and honesty of the World Health Organization would appear to be having some impact on the World Health Assembly. The amendments to the international health regulations proposed by the Biden administration in January are a separate but related issue. Biden's IHR amendments would strike out the existing requirement for the World Health Organization to consult with member state governments before declaring outbreak emergencies at local, national, and global levels. Does it mention that it's not just consultation that they struck out? The U.S. delegation fast-tracked these IHR amendments for consideration at this year's World Health Assembly. The amendments would be much easier to implement than a sweeping global pandemic treaty and include some other provisions that could prove more popular and less controversial than granting unilateral authority for emergency declarations to the World Health Organization. For example, one of the proposed changes requires both the WHO and member state governments to, sh- uh, to share all available information about public health threats within 48 hours of an emergency declare. Another IHR provision would create a yellow alert status, a step below the stringent conditions for declaring a full-blown pandemic. Didn't read that in the IHR amendments, but sure. These ideas are appealing to some WHO members because the Chinese Communist Party inflicted horrendous damage to the rest of the world by concealing and then downplaying the Chinese coronavirus for as long as possible. Uh, Let's see here. China's refusal to deal fairly under the existing WHO rules and WHO's reluctance to call Beijing out for it are global scandals that should never be forgotten. No doubt supporters of the IHR amendments and global pandemic treaty have China in mind, but it is sheer folly to believe China will play along with any rules or treaties that would embarrass the regime in Beijing or compromise its interests. Okay. I mean, I think I found out everything that I wanted to know from this article. Uh, Defenders of the global pandemic treaty and IHR amendments claim there's nothing to fear because WHO does not have enforcement powers. Ha! Even if it gains unilateral authority to declare health emergencies, they say it would have no power to force local state or national governments to do anything nor to punish them for disregarding WHO's instructions. And we all saw how well that theory worked during the COVID-19 planned pandemic, right? Do we need to remind the writers of this article or maybe the defenders of this global treaty and IHR amendments what we went through the last year and a half to two years. I don't think we do, but we might. Let's see here. This argument requires a leap of faith to believe that ceding unilateral authority to the WHO would not be followed by demands to give it more power. The first time instructions from the World Health Organization were disregarded by a local or national government during a declared health emergency, the calls for punitive sanctions and enforcement powers would become deafening. Even without any further treaties or rules changes, WHO commands a great deal of financial and political resources, and powerful globalist organizations have a knack for influencing the politics of free nations, even as authoritarian regimes regimes ignore them. One has only to remember the social and political turbulence of the coronavirus planned pandemic in the United States to imagine what kinds of hell could be unleashed by a clash between WHO leadership and the governor of a state who disagrees with their judgment. For instance, Ron DeSantis of Florida has already said this past Monday there is no way his state would ever support a global pandemic treaty. 
If WHO unilaterally declared a health emergency in Florida under either Biden's proposed IHR amendments or a global pandemic treaty, thank God this man understands the difference. And the government of Florida resisted an interstate political war would break out. Politicians in Washington and some other state capitals and their allies in private corporations would find ways to punish Florida for defying the World Health Organization's authority. Thank you for saying that, Governor DeSantis. For another example, consider how the Paris Climate Accords are not a duly ratified treaty, but major political factions in the United States behave as though they are and sought to make the Kyoto Protocols binding before Paris. And that's just, again, for Tracy Baines, right? Oh, guys, why didn't you tell me I am not sharing my screen? Oh, my God. You guys have just been watching me like a lunatic on this screen. Okay. Uh, now I'm just going to hide. All right. So <laughs> like I said, Tracy Baines, you need to learn a little bit about uh, the Kyoto Protocols, the Paris Climate Accords, about the European Union, Tracy Baines. Obviously, no world agreement, treaty, or document would supersede the United States Constitution. Well, obviously, it won't. But guess what? When you have a crazy, illegitimate administration or any other globalist plant in office in the executive in these states, you better damn be sure these treaties are going to supersede the United States Constitution. You know, it's not going to supersede the people. Because the people are going to do something about it. But all your politicians and all that romanticization of this document, it is a fragile document, guys. That's why we have to fight for it. That's why we have to defend it. That's why we have to be aware of what is going on because they are always trying to overtake it. Tracy Baines of Uncover DC. Anyways. Okay. So... She questioned everyone's integrity. That's the only reason why I call her out right now. Do I need to show you her statements or what? Anyways, okay. Um, anyways, guys, I think we're done. I think we're done, okay? <laughs> I think we're done. It's been a fabulous time hanging out with you guys here today at the Sea Report. Ah, it's them again, okay? <laughs> Leave us alone, you globalist minions. Leave us alone. Tired of you guys. Tired. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> I told you guys I'm hiding now because no one told me I was like... <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Sorry, y'all. I'm feeling a, a little. Uh, I'm feeling a little screwy dip right now. Okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed today's look. Like now, I'm a genuine anon. You can't see me. I eh, eh, eh. uh, hope you enjoyed me. Uh, enjoyed today's uh, rendition of the C report. It was some type of rendition, ladies and gentlemen. It was some type of rendition. You know, Aurelius, I never knew who Tracy was until she was like, I'm not going to talk about this global pandemic everyone's talking to me about just because you're sending me articles and, and I, and, and I uh, you know, I actually do investigative journalism and I looked at the source documents. All of those things. I have integrity as a journalist. I don't just share other people's blog posts and opinions. Anyways, yeah, I took it personal, Okay. Because my audience clearly knows who she is, and I reported on this, and no one else was talking about it at the time. 
until it'll, uh, until, until they figured it out. Anyways, okay, so we're done there, guys. We are done there. That's right. We the people are these United States of America. Never forget it. I know most of you guys live by that. Thank you for the shades, 123SKG. Thank you for anyone who passed over any um, gold pills in the last hour or so. I really have been so bogged down. Um, at, hey, thank you for the phone, sir. Lurks a lot. Awesome info today. Thanks for all the hard work you put to informing us. I do the best I can. My uh, new friend, I do the best I can. You can't see, that's right, you can't see me. <laughs> all right, guys, all right, guys. Um, we will be back today at some point in the future within this date of uh, May 27, 2022. Um, just watch for me to go live. I haven't decided exactly yet what I'm going to do. I know I promised you 2C reports today, but... Um, just please, please, your grace is required on this one. We'll talk to you soon, ladies and gentlemen. Until next time. <laughs> be safe, be blessed, and God bless America. I'll see you guys soon. I promise.